five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Now Showing Podcast. I'm your host Sam Houston, as always and I'm joined today by the one and only Jordan Luke McDonald. Hello everybody, welcome back and uh, looking forward to this four hour special uh, yes. extended cut exactly. of, uh, of the Now Showing Podcast. Exactly, we're to going be fair, full whole hog in... I think we're well, more comparison to, to the, uh, the probably more comparison to the two-hour Joss Whedon version, but um, let's, yeah. let's, let's not say that. The Joss Whedon of the Now Showing podcast, Jordan Luke the Donald, everybody. I am not the Joss Whedon of the podcast. Yeah, well, you're Joss Whedon when he made Buffy, which is you know the absolute peak of television. Today we'll be looking at the Justice League, the Snyder Cut, and we'll also be looking at episode one of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So once again, we'll be talking all about superheroes. Um, and we haven't done a normal episode of the Now Showing podcast without talking about something super related for about three months at this point. Probably, there's probably not been a single episode I haven't mentioned any, anything. This probably not. I don't think so. I, I remember a few episodes in, I remember recording the podcast and thinking, thank God I made a conscious effort to not talk about anything super related that episode, and it, uh, I did it. So I can remember a few times. But yeah, especially well, of the reviews, you know, most of the time we're not doing superhero stuff, but because of WandaVision and, and this, all these Disney Plus programs, it feels like we're all constantly talking about superheroes, but that's not a big problem for me. I love my superheroes, and I'm sure you do too. Yeah, I've got my, uh, my seven-day free trial going for Marvel Unlimited this week, so uh, I'm looking to start getting some comic books like Sam does. Yes, yeah, I'll deal with some comics, and actually factoring that, that's better here. Uh, I am going to, to announce that I will have a podcast coming soon. Um, I've announced a few podcasts in the show, some of which have taken off, some of which didn't work so well. Uh, but I'm going to be doing a podcast soon with Josh Webb, who came on the podcast to do the Marvel special recently. Uh, it's going to be about comics themselves, uh, and we're going to be looking at uh, big Marvel events and reviewing them through kind of the, the lens of an expert and someone who isn't as well-versed as myself. Uh, and also think that you've got some things you want to announce in the podcast that you try out, JL. Uh, yeah, well, not really announce, more just kind of things to mention, I guess. Um, okay. So, obviously, next week uh, we've got uh, the next episode that you'll probably be hearing will be our alternative Oscars. Uh, we'll be joined by Lewis again, who joined us for the first uh, One Division and uh, One Night Miami episode. And um, so, Lewis will be back, we'll be doing our alternative Oscars, so giving our uh, sort of nominations and, and maybe even winners for kind of the various categories and, and sort of who we think you know deserve to have been nominated and recognised at the Oscars this season um, yeah so just just so it's clear we are doing nominations it's not so it's not like we're going to be saying okay I nominate Ch- uh, Chadwick Boseman but I think that Anthony Hopkins should win he's my winner our nominations are we're giving five nominations in every category and eight for best picture of the things that didn't get nominated so it could have had oscars in other categories but for example we're giving five nominations for five performances in say for example best actor that we thought were very good but didn't get themselves a nomination yeah so so obviously that's coming up next week uh, but uh, in the meantime as well um i'm going to be doing a personal project and it's going to be on music city driving and obviously the podcast network that we're part of and, and you know great and proud to be part of uh, I'm going to be doing my personal uh, 2020 Oscars, so I'm going to be going through all the t- films I watched for the first time last year and picking um, nominations based- and winners based on the Oscar categories, so that could be films from 2020, could be films from 1990, 
Um, it, it doesn't really matter when it was released as long as I watched it for the first time last year. Uh, it's eligible. And uh, yeah, a little personal project that I'll be doing for the Music City Driving uh, website. And another so thing to... So that'll be all, um, all articles, right? Written? Yeah, yeah. An article, yeah. Oh, very nice. And then a another thing to, uh, to announce... Um, not, not again, it's, it's not an announcement. It's just uh, sort of an aside, I guess, kind of a prelude, perhaps, for what's to come in our discussion of uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and uh, and the Justice League Snyder Cut. Um, but I I've got a personal project that I want to to do, uh, which is to I want to start watching some of the Arrowverse stuff and some of the Ooh. earlier Marvel shows, such as Daredevil and and so on, um, that I haven't seen before. Um, so that's my my little personal TV project uh, to get around to doing. Really, um, that's very interesting. Have you watched any um, comic book TV shows aside from the Disney Plus ones before? Oh, that's a good question. I think I've watched one episode of Daredevil. <laughs> um, nice. Me too. I've watched the first season of The Boys, which I know is DC, but not like made by DC. And I don't think I've seen anything else. You know, super. I'm trying to think. If it's, I've got if it's, to if say, it's I'm, really obvious that I've missed. Like, yeah, well, my it, my big recommendation is Jessica Jones. Series on Jessica Jones is the is up there with the best of anything Marvel for me. The first series Jessica Jones, and it's not only because I love David Tennant, but that is absolutely excellent television. Yeah, I've heard Daredevil's very good as well. I've heard I've heard good mm. things about David Tennant and Jessica Jones. Um, I've heard good things about David Tennant and everything because he is the best human being ever to touch the planet. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the other day, um, my, my, my thoughts were, originally my question was, have you ever heard anyone say they hate Ant and Deck? And the answer is, they are kind of obnoxious. So whilst I've never heard anyone say they hate Ant and Deck, I wouldn't be that surprised if people did. But then my next question I said to someone was, do you think anyone hates David Tennant? Because I've never, ever heard anyone dislike David Tennant. I mean, there's got to be some people, but I've just never heard anyone say something bad about him. I guarantee there's someone who's only seen him in Jessica Jones and is like, that man is pure evil, <laughs> must be eliminated <laughs> from the planet. No. Yeah, but... I feel like he's one of those unanimously liked actors, you know. So, um, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, That's what I like yeah. to hear. But I've watched quite a few. Quite a few. Uh, I know we normally do a little what we've watched, and I don't know if we're going to do too much of that today because we've got a lot to talk about in terms of for our film. But uh, yeah, I, I've watched quite a few superhero things this week. Obviously, in preparation for Falcon Winter Soldier, uh, I finally got around to watching Mark. Uh, American Civil War, <laughs> Captain America Civil War for the first time in full. Um, I also, in preparation for Justice League, I watched uh, Man of Steel and the Ultimate Edition of Batman vs Superman for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also watched. Uh, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago now the uh, Behind the Mask, the Marvel uh, Disney Plus documentary, which was really interesting. And you know, you, you mentioned some of the, sort of the big big talking points from it but it's definitely still uh, worthwhile watching and very interested uh, if you, mm-hmm. you know, if you're interested in, in your comic books then uh, give that a, give that a watch I'd recommend it and yeah that's what I've that's what I've watched this past week uh, I can't think of anything else I've, that I've watched that's not super related there's got to be something I watched a few, I watched quite a few short films quite a few of the BAFTA shorts and the and yeah the, I watched, I watched a few short documentaries I'm probably going to I, I haven't released anything yet because of just how busy I've been with university and the podcast, but I'm going to try and start writing for for Music City Driving. Uh, I said I would three weeks ago and I haven't done anything. I think my first article is going to be about rating all of the Oscar-nominated um, uh, short documentaries. Uh, and I've watched about three of them. And, and I've got to say, Colette, if I've got to give a recognition right now, Colette, uh, it's definitely had um, some criticism for being perhaps slightly exploitative of its subject matter. 
and I do see that. But I think regardless of whether you think of it in a positive light or a negative light, I definitely think it's it's worth a watch because there's a lot uh, of interesting stuff there. Um, so oh, are you I ready for me? To... As well. Oh, oh man, okay. Are you ready for me to talk about what I watched? Yeah. Um, well, you weren't quite too fair. You normally go into more detail, so a bit surprised there. But I will talk about what I watched, and I'm happy to get into some detail. Um, I watched. I will talk about superhero stuff. I'll tell you what I watched before that. I watched La La Land for the first time, JL, uh, on on the weekend. I watched it on Saturday night, I think, um, for the or Friday night. Sorry, for the first time. Yeah, I saw. I saw in your live box. I I kind of I wish I didn't see it, but I did see it. You were rate you rating so. Yes, I rated it nine out of ten. Uh, I genuinely dislike musicals. Um, it's you know they're not my kind of thing, and and but but. I'll say that even though it kind of gives that uh, feel in the start of the film, starting off with the song, it doesn't actually kind of, they don't spring into song maybe more than a few times in the film. Um, so it didn't go thing. It's, it's more about the music itself and, and, and their relationship to the music. So it's that kind of semi space between kind of incidental and non-incidental music. And yeah, I, I thought that uh, the performances were absolutely excellent. I thought that both of the Emma Stone and, and the Gozza absolutely killed it. Uh, the cinematography was excellent. The editing was beautiful. Uh, cinematography was beautiful. Uh, yeah, really, really well done. And Damien Chazelle is a genius. And, you know, I say I love Whiplash, and I do prefer Whiplash, of course. Uh, you know, it's one of my favourite films ever. Thank you for introducing me to that's JL. Uh, but, yeah, La La Land, very, very good film. And, you know, there's probably not many musicals that I say I'm looking forward to rewatching. Uh, so, and that's one of them. So, yeah, that. It definitely um, got better on a rewatch for me as well. Like, I really enjoyed it the first time around, but I kind of gave it like a four or five, I think. And then it just moved up to a five on a rewatch. I just thought the second time around, there's a lot of more. I don't know. I guess maybe I went into it more expecting a musical, musical, like, uh, and, and you kind of mentioned how it wasn't that. I was um, so prepared and almost, dare I say, excited to rate it two stars or something <laughs> i couldn't wait to be like that's shit and i'm like quite enjoy having the controversial opinion but i couldn't pretend that i didn't love it and um i think one thing i'll quite look forward to watching it with subtitles again in the second time because you know i'm not i don't normally watch films with subtitles uh, in english you know unless there's a specifically like they talk quietly like um you know or, or game of thrones when they're talking about these like weird place names i like to have subtitles on but normally i don't watch films with subtitles but i think with the songs because they're going so quickly and they're sort of telly across the room, you know, I couldn't really pick up exactly all the words in the songs. So I think with a with subtitles, I'm quite interested in seeing that. Yeah. Um, when it comes to superhero films, I watched Man of Steel for the first time, um, and I was, I'd say, kind of disappointed. It wasn't, it wasn't awful. It really wasn't awful. Uh, it was very mediocre. Uh, I think there's a thread that that going through DC films, and I'll say there's a lot in the next one I'll talk about. Um, in that they generally kind of are up with the build-up, but really struggle with third acts. That, in my opinion, I really think that most of their films are really weak third acts. I think Man of Steel was the same kind of thing for me, where I quite enjoy a lot of the build-up, but that last bit was just a lot of aimless fighting for me in action. And it didn't really do anything for me. And, you know, I'm not one that's all about comic book accuracy. I don't particularly care, but I think you have to pick different f- facets of, of people's characters to go into when you make a film because you can't do everything you know like with Tom Holland they he's Spider-Man they haven't made him uh, work at the Bugle and they haven't done the Uncle Ben thing but they have done this and they have done that you have to pick different parts I think not having Superman's secret identity would be a big deal for him in that film where kind of he's, he's like those two lives 
um, in the same way as usual, not having him work at the Daily Planet, I did feel like it became a very quite generic. So, you know, I was quite disappointed. I'd give it about five, six out of ten. It wasn't an awful film, but I wasn't massively a fan of it. Uh, then I watched Batman vs Superman: The Ultimate Edition. Uh, now I have seen, unlike JL, I had seen the theatrical cut. I watched it in the cinema twice when it came out, and I stand by the statement twice. that the theatrical so twice. I hated it both times. I despised Why did you it both twice? times. So I was with my mum and my nan, and there was nothing else in the cinema, and we said, let's go to the cinema, and that was on, so we watched it. I hated it. Then I went back to my friends in Cambridgeshire the next day, went to the cinema, nothing was on, so we watched Batman vs Superman. There was like 10 of us, and only two of us had seen it, me and Mitchell, and me and Mitchell both hated it both times. So, yeah, (laughs) awful film, the original for me. I would say, you know, the second worst comic book film I've ever seen behind... Green Lantern. It's a one out of ten or a one or two out of ten, and I was very very impressed with a lot of the Ultimate Edition. I thought it fixed a lot of the issues with the characters in the first two acts not getting their motivations justified. Lois Lane was did probably the biggest plus in the cut. You know, I thought that giving her extra dialogue and and making a character seem important was very good for the overall narrative. However. No cut, however, as, as intensive as it could be, could ever fix the absolute shit show, which is in one of the worst third acts in any film I've ever seen in that was Superman Dawn Justice. Um, you know, this, this ridiculous shit starts happening, the awful plot points, the Martha scene is so cringeworthy and one of the stupidest things they've done in a superhero film ever. The bad guy is, is ridiculous. Uh, the way they kill them makes no sense. Uh, and is you know it really is uh, one of the all-time bad third acts. Um, but I'll say the first two acts of the film are saved massively, and it doubles my rating from two out of ten to a four out of ten, uh, maybe even a five, uh, just because of how much the better the first two acts are. Uh, and so you know I've been fairly critical of a lot of the DC films, but I'm not a hater by any means because I love Birds of Prey and Shazam a lot more than most people did. So I'm not like, I just want to put it out there. You know, I'm not like I'm one of these people that hates on, on things because it's Marvel. I'm not a Marvel fanboy. I'm not a DC fanboy. I read DC comics. I love Shazam. I love Birds of Prey. I love the Nola movies. But yeah, neither of the first two Snyder films really did it for me. That's interesting. I mean, I, cause I've watched, uh, obviously both watched Man of Steel for the first time and then you'd seen the theatrical version, as you mentioned, of uh, Barnaby Superman. And I'd say overall, I was a bit more positive on the films than you were. Um, I don't know. I think Man of Steel, I think I gave originally a three out of five on, on Letterboxd and then I moved it up to three and a half. I don't know. On retrospect, I was thinking maybe some issues I had with it, I, I kind of could forgive uh, and I thought maybe overall it was a bit stronger than, than you did um, the third act yeah I can see some of the issues with in, in both films but um, I don't know I think I think having not seen the Martha moment that Martha moment is, you know see the thing is I've heard so much about this Martha ridiculous. moment and it happened I in the film and I literally it. if no one had said anything to me I would not have I would have not like he doesn't kill his mate because his mum has the same name. But more importantly, why does Superman refer to his mum by his first name? See, well, this is the thing, right? I, I, I understand why people f- kind of think that. But then I also feel like I've been reading some debates online after I watched the film, you know, people arguing for and against that moment. And it makes sense because if Superman just said mum, if he just said mum, then... Uh, Batman is probably going to think that he's talking about his Kryptonian mother, and why would he care about that? The the best answer is, the only way that, that they can use that line and fix it and, and make it make sense would also be shit, but would make more sense for his character, was if they renamed 
Batman's mum to Lois Wayne. So he shouts Lois. I'm going to say Lois. Like that would make sense because he'd say Lois. But why would he say Martha? I mean, also more importantly, why would you not kill someone just because their their name was the same as your mum who died like 25 years ago or something or 40 years ago? I mean, it's just such a convoluted moment. I, I yeah, I, I have all the it's issues. It's just with that. the uh, it's just the the humanity of it. If my mum, if if I was gonna get killed, the last thing I would not shout was, "I need to save Deborah." I mean, my mum's name's not Deborah. No, but you're not but... Kryptonian. <laughs> well, you don't know that. Okay, well, I I don't think you are, unless you know. Yeah. Yeah. But still, yeah. I, well, he grew up as a human. Anyway, I just think it's. But I have other issues with that third act as well. But, I mean, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, these issues. But I I kind of. I don't know. Some of the justifications I read online, people were sort of debating back and forth. I think overall, I agree generally with the people pro, pro film rather than against the film. So I don't know. I, I enjoyed the film. I thought it was a very interesting way of handling the. I mean, the thing as well is that, like, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this when it comes to Justice League and Snyder Cut, but. We talked, you know, in the Marvel MCU special we did with, with Josh and uh, in various other times that perhaps DC have rushed too soon into, you know, big, expansive storytelling with multiple characters and different stories and plot points and, you know, maybe didn't establish those characters early enough and give them time to grow and develop and, mm-hmm. you know, even give yeah. them, you know, some of the characters that even get solo films before Justice League. But I think, yeah. I think Batman v Superman did a really good job of introducing um, Bruce Wayne and, and Batman and still having it have wider implications of having a conflict of having a different well, take on uh, Batman that we haven't seen especially in recent years at least anyway I think um, you, the film constantly makes you make assumptions about Batman's life based off what everyone knows of Batman that you assume he's done this and you assume he's done mm-hmm. that and you assume the thing and and that feels like a bit of a jump for me and I don't know if I always want to do that um, I think I can understand that like they're kind of doing the Spider-Verse thing where they're like, we know everyone knows what's going on. They do the same with Spider-Man and the MCU. We already know about Ben. And I think that that is a poor decision. Um, and But I can understand it to a degree. I think whilst it would have been best to make a Batman film before Batman vs Superman, I also think it would have been even an, as another better option to make a Batman film between that and Justice League to get us more in, involved in the character before Justice League. Um, I do think they need to flesh out more characters. I also think it jumped into the kind of endgame level. Well, we'll be talking about Infinity War quite a lot and, and kind of how fair it is to compare the films with the Justice League later on. But when you're coming into this big kind of massive story, which I guess is unfairly chucked upon it because, it, you know, when they made Justice League, they didn't know it was going to have this cult following like that it did with, with the Snyder cult. But... Yeah, it, it's it's kind of they, they jumped into this big big event quite early on and and, and they tried to, to put their their maybe you know too many fingers and too many pies with all the different things that could happen and yeah I do think they rushed it to be honest uh, I will talk about more about that later on yeah um, I, I, but, I guess that's a Justice League talk but yeah I don't know I don't know I would like to have seen a Batfleck film uh, and and that's a, is that a spoiler from my review later but I would like to have seen a Batfleck film um, and you know I think he's generally a decent Batman. Okay, so before we talk about Justice League, let's have a quick break from DC to go back to Marvel and talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode one, shall we? Yeah, let's go. So I'm going to do what I do every week to you. What what happened in Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode one, JL? Oh, God, I watched it like two hours ago and I'm a bit longer. Yeah, me too. And, um, okay. 
So, Falcon and Winter Soldier, obviously following up uh, post-endgame. Um, you know, we, we've... Uh, Steve Rogers passed on the mantle, the shield, to uh, to Sam Wilson, uh, Falcon. And uh, in... Obviously, spoilers here, by the way, for both things we're going to talk about. Yes, we're going so to talk about spoilers. Spoiler episode, so if you haven't seen this is things, a spoiler-filled episode. episode. Yes, we should say that now. This is a spoiler-filled episode. We'll put yeah, that in just, the description. That's just spoiler wall from now on. Like, yeah, we'll put that in the description. We'll put that in the tweet. Make sure everyone knows this is spoiler-filled. Yeah. Um. So Sam Wilson uh, rejects the shield, rejects the the mantle, and rejects the the sort of position, if you want to, if you want to call it that, of, of Captain America, and uh, hands over the shield. The, uh, the the Captain America shield, mm. and then um, we get he he he's assigned to a mission. He has to save some military person from some un- nondescript Russian or whatever uh, people, and then we get a bunch of stuff about Sam Wilson's family, his sister, uh, her children, their family life. Um, they're having financial hardships um, as a consequence. But not potentially directly, but sort of influenced and enhanced by the the five year blip and how you know many people who, um, if for example, Sam Wilson would have um, been able to help uh, financially were gone for five years. And and in the meantime, we've got uh, Bucky um, who is sort of struggling with uh, recollections, memories, and, and nightmares of of his past as the Winter Soldier of, of sort of the horrors that he was was uh, forced to commit and going through therapy he's uh, trying to sort of come to terms with that and, and make amends with the people who he's wronged and and that's kind of the first episode um in a nutshell we also have a ending dramatic moment uh, in mm. which it's revealed that there's a new Captain America um played by White Russell and yeah, that's kind of a setup going forward, I guess, for for kind of a, maybe a potential conflict or something. U.S. Been... agent, as the yeah. comic fans know him to be called. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so what do we think? I'll start. I always want to say, you know, Marvel and DC, you know, and DC, but Marvel, uh, especially with the amount of films that Marvel has, has released, you know, you know, we've seen so many Marvel films across the three phases. You've got these. Um, space stories about fighting aliens on spaceships in Guardians of the Galaxy. You've got these um, kind of stories of uh, biological, almost, you know, these, these weird creations and biological warfare and such that you see stuff like the Incredible Hulk. Uh, you've got these these insane uh, situations of, of, of magic and stuff like WandaVision and, and Whimsy in Doctor Strange. You've got these Superman-like ultra powerful figures like Captain Marvel and you know suit in and, and super suits and and all this technology that you see in Ant-Man and Iron Man um it's it, to have a jump from WandaVision to a very grounded story in the Five and the Winter Soldier about super soldiers of course there is there is a technological situation to that and, and following up from from the, the earlier Captain America films you've, you know, you've got one man with a metal arm that's lived for 100 years and the other person who's got a wingsuit however it definitely feels like such a grounded story about almost realistic kind of believable people dealing with real issues getting a bank loan PSD a PTSD sorry um, that of course a lot of those issues come up in WandaVision but on a far more uh, magical situation it's very clear that the timing 
do it to me that the timing of putting this between Loki and and WandaVision rather than having those two things together you know splitting up those magical stories is, really shows the diversity of the MCU world you know what I mean yeah I agree and also it's it's kind of this interesting feels... as well go ahead go ahead so this feels very phase one start of phase two you know, do you know what I mean this feels very you know the, the first phase with the, with the Captain America and uh, Iron Man and, and we're going to the Winter Soldier and you know and Iron Man 3 and stuff it feels very kind of like that with the, the fact that it's a lot more earth-based and they're not fighting these weird spacey threats uh, and they're fighting normal people normal problems it feels very old school Marvel maybe something that we've been neglected a little bit with the amount of, of end games and Captain Marvels and, and such we've had recently yeah it's interesting as well you mentioned I didn't really well I kind of subconsciously picked up on it but maybe not like directly in the comparisons between one division and the Falcon and the soldier now is that on paper, if you put these side by side, when we, when they first got announced, you know, half this half sitcom, half MCU spectacle versus sort of a kind of more grounded going back to the kind of maybe the winter soldier kind of tone and theme and, and narrative sort of, you know, of maybe some kind of, espionage style or yeah mission impossible kind of feel yeah and you kind of put them side by side and you think you know wonder and vision versus uh bucky and well winter soldier and falcon you, and and especially in what we were told they were going to be and i'm not saying that i'm not saying they've like lied to us or anything but what i mean is is that like even such different diverse storytelling and you know such different diverse characters and yet there's still this really human kind of, you know, underpinning of the stories in terms of, you know, we've mentioned grief and, and whatnot in WandaVision. And, and now we come to this with, you know, Bucky dealing with PTSD at therapy and, and Sam dealing with sort of the real financial hardships of family life. It's it's really sort of great to see that we get these stories fleshed out with the characters. As we mentioned with WandaVision, you know, if, if we didn't have that show, it's kind of like where, you know, how do we give the time and space for these characters to develop and, and move forward. And, you know, if that if that show didn't exist, well, you know, how on earth do you go forward in the MCU without the events of WandaVision? It almost seems unthinkable now. So, you know, I'm sure there'll be many sort of twists and turns in, in Falcon Winter Soldier, maybe not as, uh, you know, surprising in, in a sort of narrative or, th- or sort of uh, stylistic way. But in terms of going forward with the MCU, it's almost like how on earth do... Do you even comprehend an MCU timeline in the future where you look back at these sort of upcoming Disney Plus shows and think, you know, what if Kevin Feige hadn't have had hadn't have organised this stuff with Disney Plus? Because it just seems bizarre. Imagine if you know there's no Loki going forward, the, the repercussions that's mm. certainly going to have. Um, and Miss Marvel, who's been introduced in their own show, then going to transition to the films, same as. You know, Kate Bishop in Hawkeye. There's just so many characters and, and themes and storylines and beats that are going to be introduced and developed that, yeah, it's just, just, I mean, I'm glad that we've got them because if we didn't, then it's kind of like, how on earth are these characters going to even grow? We, you know, we only get two films a year normally and, you know, yeah. normally they're, you know, standalone might... films which are kind of isolated incidents or um, big ensemble pieces. It's, it's very little real... real sort of moments for, for characters like them to sort of grow. And I think, so you touched on there about, you know, the amount of films we get and stuff and how important these characters are. You know, this has been, you know, this has been such perfect for the pandemic content because, 
you know, no one's wanting to see these in cinemas, these are TV shows, it's always going to be on Disney+, Plus, and it just happens that that they planned these before knowing that everyone was going to be at home binging miniseries, stuff like The Queen's Gambit and Tiger King did yeah. so well in the pandemic because people are happy to sit around and binge these Ooh. shows or watch them weekly. And it really suits the pandemic because no one has to go out and watch these. People can just do it in the house. People streaming, people stream more than ever. It really does. They're, they're lo- almost lucky the pandemic happened. Well, for, well, first of all, obviously, it got announced today by, by Disney that uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier is the highest sort of the the, the biggest number of, of uh, viewers on a premiere for a Disney Plus show. Uh, One Division was the highest until Falcon Winter Soldier, so obviously that bodes well going forward for the future upcoming shows. You'd imagine that One Division and uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, as you know, integral characters they are to the MCU and um, as as beloved characters as they are, you'd imagine that perhaps. You know, given the likes of Miss Marvel, who who's a new character, She Hulk, Moon Knight, you, you you maybe expect newer characters to have more hype about people wanting to get see them and get introduced. So, you know, it bodes well for the future for for them for those shows. But also, just going back to your point about sort of TV streaming and and the pandemic and how that's affected things. I mean, you you say about how it's perfect for. For television, but honestly, some of, especially with uh, Falcon and the Soldier, that first episode, a lot of those action set pieces and cinematography and and dialogue and so on, a lot of just sort of the action, I would not have been surprised to have seen on on in a Marvel film. In a no, 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 yeah, it's definitely very cinematic. But I um, mean, yeah, I'm just saying, obviously, this is always intended to be a TV show. It's not like yeah. they turned it into a TV show. But yeah, oh, no, I do yeah. agree. I think it, you really can compare it, especially you know they haven't neglected it. This isn't the Netflix spin-offs, and no offense to them in terms of of, of thing, but these aren't handled by a different company. You know, these are you know aren't some spin-offs that aren't really important to the Avengers. These are important, massive stories that are integral to to the sh- to the show, uh, and pulled off on a cinematic scale, and really given the same money and time and care and writing that those do. And you know, thankful that Disney have done it. It's was a bit of a shame for the Netflix shows they never received that love. Um, but yeah, it really is. It's, it's, great to see and say it's, it's great for for keeping the mcu relevant as well as more than ever in the, in the pandemic you know think how many people are watching these programs you know we talk about uh one division being the most experimental thing marvel has done in years and that's why it had such mixed reaction the falcon and the soldier i'd argue is maybe the safest thing that marvel could have done it's characters that are well established that have been around for a lot for quite a long, long time at this point it's a very basic marvel story uh, and it's very similar to the stuff they've done before. There's no big jumps, and that is not an insult. Being safe doesn't mean being bad. There are a lot of very good, very safe films out there uh, when it comes to big franchises. Uh, and this this is definitely a safe film, which, uh, safe series. You, you know what I mean? There's no, you know, you know, mind blending, mm-hmm. strange gen, uh, John, gen, genre uh, jumping like there is in mm-hmm. WandaVision. Uh, there's no, you know, random characters we don't know. We know what's going on. Everyone's introduced what you know in the traditional sense. And I expect that's one of the reasons why it probably will be maybe not loved like WandaVision, but maybe enjoyed by a wider percentage. I'll say that maybe more percent of people will enjoy it, maybe not have the same love that WandaVision did from its most devoted fans. Yeah, I think, I, you know, if you're, in, if you're in the MCU, if you like the MCU, you've watched an awful lot of this kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. That's very much just, you know, safe is, is the, probably the right word. It's not, you know, as, as you said, safe doesn't mean bad. And I think, yeah, this is something that, a wider percentage of Marvel fans will sort of resonate with and enjoy. Um, you know, maybe WandaVision's among its sort of core fan base will will be 
a more intense sort of uh, mm-hmm. enjoyment. It's a love or hate. It's yeah. one of is way more love or hate, and I think um, yeah. I don't imagine that the focus on exposure will inspire that much passionate opinion, negatively or positively. Uh, except for amongst the most dedicated fans of the specific characters, there's obviously there's an awful lot of people that are, that love Bucky and, and love and, and love Sam. You know, personally, I've never been a big Bucky guy. You know, I, he's kind of annoyed me since the second film. But I do need to rewatch Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, but to be fair, actually, this, uh, sorry, sorry, I need to reach Captain America Winter Soldier. But to be fair, I think I found him the most bearable in this out of anything. So you know, that's a big positive. Uh, and we'll, we'll kind of segue that into to actually talk about the episode rather than the show overall. And before we get into our actual thoughts, uh, you know, early on in the episode, Falcon is on uh, the plane and he's fighting yeah. these, uh, they're called a flag something? Flag no. burners? Was that oh, something different? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was different, but maybe... It's oh, it might be maybe, different, but... It, might, it could fight- be connected, I guess, because it's yeah. not really explained why he's there doing what he's doing. Well, it is. So he's fighting these these terrorists, right? FLA or something, right? Or FAL or something? Yeah. And um, do you you know the you know, the kind of French Canadian guy with the bald head? They was fighting kind of the leader of them. Yeah. Do you know who that is? What the guy who was like organizing the the kidnapping or whatever? Yeah, like the main guy. He was you know he was like a very shaven head. He was like French Canadian. He was I don't kind of think very. So. Do, do you not remember who I'm on about? No, I know who you mean, but I don't know who he is. I don't think. In in real life, that right. is arguably, I wouldn't agree. I think he's second, but he's arguably the greatest mixed martial arts fighter of all time. Oh, okay. That's okay, George so Saint Pierre. He's uh, okay. So think, someone that you will know who I will have no idea. Yeah, I think he's 13, 14 title defenses at welterweight. Uh, went up to middleweight and beat Manchester's Michael Bisping for the belt in 2015. Yeah, he's one of the greatest fighters of all time, and he it's nice to see him uh, getting TV roles uh, in a very very big series. I thought it was cool. seeing he wasn't he made a cameo in Winter Soldier the the film, and seeing him here, I was like, hey, you know that, that, that meme of um, wait, who was he in Winter the, Soldier? He played the same character. Um, oh okay. But uh, yeah, I um, it kind of you know that, that Leonardo DiCaprio uh, meme of him pointing the telly. That was me when, uh, when GSP <laughs> went on screen. I was like, oh, hey, look, it's the, it's the UFC guy. I'm excited um, to see how. What do you think of the episode? I thought it was. I thought it was. Oh my god, my headphone just fell out and uh, really like confused me for a moment. Um, I thought it was solid. I think it it lays it did what it needed to do. I think it was very. I think visually, I think that was one of the big things I noticed compared to, you know, I just watched Civil War the other day and there's some big criticisms of cinematography and, and colour grading and stuff. colour grade is so shit. I mean, I did I not notice it. it that much, but I can see where people are coming from. Like, I'd watch the film, I never really thought, yeah, this is awful, but I can I can definitely see the grey concrete fest that people think it is. Um, yeah. Why, yeah. why these big criticisms are. Com- compare that to this, I mean... The color grading wasn't necessarily, you know, noticeable, standout, sort of in your face, showy. But I thought the cinematography was um, was great. There's some really, really nice shots and some really nice sort of just different approaches to sort of Marvel MCU storytelling, which we haven't really seen too much of. Like obviously, One Division was was very experimental in genre and the way it was the way it was done. But I think for this, it was. I mean, there's some really nice sort of close-up shots, especially like you got those therapy moments with uh, with Bucky, which were really yeah. interesting, and 
I'll say the cinematography visuals. really suited the tone it required at every point. You know, when it was going yeah. for those big action moments, they really pulled out the, the bag uh, and, and put all these kind of, you know, very expensive and say, I'm going to use the, the example once again, Mission Impossible style kind of cinematography. And then when mm-hmm. it had those important scenes um, with Bucky dealing with his, his personal trauma, then it, it was respectful and treated the camera, you know, like, you know, less of, of you know, jump around and, and kind of just, yeah, portrayed the, the subject matter, you know, respectfully. You meant- you mentioned as well. You mentioned several times about how lighting is so sort of underappreciated and almost invisible yes. when it's good, and it's kind of very noticeable when it's bad. And I think there's a couple of moments in this where the lighting, where that kind of is the perfect description, because there's therapy scenes and also the scene in the restaurant um, that Bucky has with uh, I've forgotten the guy's name now. Um, oh yes, yes, the, um, the old the, man. The um, old man. Yeah, the the lighting in those two scenes was someone pointed out on on Letterbox, and thinking back, I was like, yeah, that was really, really, really nice lighting and cinematography mm. as well. I mean, you mentioned that the, uh, you sort of commented about how you the, like the therapy stuff and the close ups, and then obviously the more action pieces. But also, yeah. um, there's those moments with with uh, with Falcon and and the shield and the kind of um, reflective moments where he's there's, there's like a there's like a reflection in the glass. Um, on him, and there's also another moment I can't what it was, which with 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 Sam, which was really nice in terms of cinematography, even just like the camera work as well. Though even in like the more personal moments where he's with his with his sister, and there's a kind of a discussion around the finances and stuff, and it kind of pans back to her kind of reaction once he's left, or it kind of pans across to images of of the family and so on. I don't know. There's just some really nice moments in there which we don't really come to expect in in the MCU, especially on the, the big films where they don't really necessarily have time to sort of have these sort of long sort of shots or sequences or, or whatnot. They kind of have to focus on the action um, and, and you know, I kind of feel like these Disney Plus shows really going to sort of be consistent in that regard of having some really nice sort of genuinely cinematic moments which we haven't really seen, especially in some of the bigger... Um, the bigger but less sort of successful films, if you want to call it that. Obviously, Infinity War and Endgame have big cinematic spectacle moments. Um, but when it comes to things, you know, Civil War or, um, you know, just films which kind of have action, just, you know, cut, cut, cut. Um, and then there's very little respite and, and character moments. I think that's that's really where these shows are going to thrive. Yeah, I do completely agree. Um, I think it's always well, you know, I agree with all you said about the cinematography and the, and the, and the, the technical uh, prowess. I think, I think the lighting was excellent. Um, I, I will say on a thematic or, or a story point of view, I think um, a lot of us have been very intrigued ever since Endgame um, about what the world was like in the midst of the blip and dealing with the blip. Um, and we got glimpses of that in Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man 2, sorry, we got a little tiny glimpse of that in WandaVision. And in here, we're really starting to see some very interesting repercussions of the events, like the having no income for five years, you can't get a bank loan. I wasn't alive for those last five years. You know, that, that dialogue was, was very, very interesting. I was very much enjoying kind of seeing how the world uh, has progressed in those five years. Um, I don't know about you, JL, but uh, <laughs> when they describe the evil, horrible, uh, ridiculous claims of the uh, terrorist group that they want a world unified without borders, I wasn't particularly offended by that concept. <laughs> I, didn't think, I was like, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, sounds good to me, man. That's sounds exactly great. Yeah, like. let's go. Yeah, exactly. Um, but 
yeah, the, the idea of these people that, that enjoyed the world when the blip uh, during the blip more. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. We're getting a lot of things to say. Um, I thought I thought was, this was this episode really uh, was really good on on Bucky and really gave him um, some real screen time where he's shown unilaterally completely as the good guy. So much of it is in Winter Soldier and Civil War is like you know that the, the he's a bad guy and then the kind of he's conflicted. There's mm-hmm. never really too much time where you see him completely as a good character. Yeah. Um, it, you know, especially alone, you know, he's always kind of part of the ensemble. Uh, to see him get his own screen time, uh, you know, he really needs it more so than than the character that everyone kind of unilaterally, uh, everyone that kind of unanimously likes in in Sam Wilson. Um, but you know, I've got a lot to talk about Sidekick, so we can't talk about it all day. Yeah. Um, when you're talking Even... about the first episode specifically, JL, uh, who are we going? What are we going for? The rating here, specifically the first episode. That's a tough one, actually. It's kind of not to the same degree, but kind of WandaVision, we're kind of like, it's an interesting setup, and I'm on board, but it's kind of hard to rate it on its own. Um, I think, I don't, I don't know, I'd go for like a seven and a half, eight. Like, it was a exactly solid episode. Yeah, um, seven and a half. I think it's very solid. It did exactly what it needed to do, put us in a good position to set up in the series, intrigued us, but didn't do anything world breaking. I don't think seven and a half sounds about right. I think, uh, I think as well, just before we move on to Justice League, is. I, even you know we talked about the top of lighting and how that can be very undernoticed like unnoticed and almost like an unspoken thing until it's noticeably bad it's kind of the same with acting as well like i kind of think we've become accustomed to the the, the standard of acting in in the mcu that um maybe having watched i watched the expanding the universe 12 minutes sort of hype building thing they released a couple of years back um which is on disney plus and i watched that and you know they're introducing other shows, and and uh, Kevin Feige introduces, um, you know, um, Sebastian Stan and uh, Anthony Mackie onto the stage, and says, you know, it's been a pleasure working with them, they're great actors, and so on. But I think generally, sometimes we, you know, we touch on this with Wonder Vision as well, how it's almost like Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen were sort of underutilized, and we didn't really get to see the full ability and potential of, of acting and, and range and so on in the big films and i thought the acting in this was great as well um, especially in those sort of more sort of downbeat um personal moments i thought the acting was, was, was spot on from these two and I'm, really, I'm super intrigued to see how that continues going forward how the how, how, how it sort of plays out and obviously um as is almost common knowledge um well, yeah, it is common knowledge. It's announced literally on the announcement for the series. We've got um, Zemo coming back, which I'm interested to see how that pans out. Yeah, and definitely. How he plays into the, the wide narrative. And also, I've just kind of had a spoiler. Like, I'm not going to say anything, but um, earlier today on, on Twitter, someone mentioned a character who uh, who is who is who is appears in the episode and robs a bank. And uh, I now know a name, so I'm intrigued to see how that pans out as well. Haven't heard of the character, so it'll be interesting hmm. to see. I don't know what you're about, and maybe I don't want to know what you're about until I experience it myself. Uh, before we go on, I want to quickly ask a man of the match for the episode. Who man do you think stood out for as, as as when it comes to talk about the cinematography, the lighting, maybe one of the actors, maybe the writing? If you were to give a man of the match for that episode, what would you go for? Uh, I'm currently looking who did the cinematography on Ladbox and I can't see it. 
Well, when I do stuff like cinematography, I'm not going to name the cinematographer always. You know, I'm sure he... Well, you know, actually, no, I, I was going to say that. I was literally about to say, cinematography was great, but overall, I think the direction was excellent. So I'm going to okay. go with Carrie Scogland, if that's how you say it. Um, the director, she was she did a really good job. On a side note, if I was going to pick, like, a, like, it's between her and also I thought the score was really good as well. Um, so, and that's uh, Henry Jackman who returns from Civil War and Winter Soldier. So, yeah, yeah, I will go for a character. Maybe you can guess what I says. A character I've been extremely critical of in the past and an actor that I have not had an issue with, but I've never been stunned by. Um, but I was very impressed with this episode and really is doing a lot to earn my respect. Well, I always haven't always had it for the character or mm-hmm. the you know his wider space in the MCU. So I'm going to give it to Sebastian Stan because I thought that you know the way he portrayed the the issues and, and the the difficulties of Bucky's life uh, was intriguing and gave me a lot more respect for the character. So I'm going to go for Sebastian Stan. Nice. Also, nice. as well. Before we move on, this is a spoiler-filled episode, so we can we can discuss it. Um, yeah. obviously there's the flashback scene the nightmare of him um, as Winter Soldier killing those various people right and then there's this old guy who you know whose son who went missing and I completely did not like I drew the implication I was like okay yeah that's gonna be you know a conflict of the thing that he has to come to terms with but I right. didn't even realise that it was literally the the person like it actually it's literally shown in the episode. Oh, well, he killed his son. Yeah, oh, I didn't even notice that. Right. Well, Shit. the the guy. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much. It wasn't it like obvious from like the fact he looked at the photograph and he's like. You I'm know. just dumb. I just didn't piece that together. I just thought he was well, sad. Yeah, well, well, first of all, first of all, like I I piece it together like myself. Like oh, you know, he went yeah, missing. Something him. strange about it, and then he has his flashback sequence. But I didn't notice that it's just, it's him in the flashback. But also, is um, like I pieced it together based on the way he looked at the photograph, and also after that scene, there's like a scene where it cuts to his notepad and it has the guy's name circled. Oh really? So yeah, I, okay, I, I, I kind of pieced together from that, but I didn't actually realise it was him in the flashback. I'm pretty sure. No, it was that, him. that's me being dumb. I didn't I didn't notice that. Okay. Yeah. Moving on to the big subject of the episode, we are going to be looking at Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is the big one. This is the big four-hour-long cut of Justice League. Of course, the film, The Justice League, came out in 2017. There was issues during the production. Um, Unfortunately, there was a very, very sad passing of Zack Snyder, the director's daughter, during the making of the film. So halfway through, or however percentage through, um, Joss Whedon, the director of, of course, Buffy, and also the Avengers films, um, first Avengers films, came in and uh, kind of finished the film off, but he changed a lot of the, he used a lot of different scenes, reshot a lot. Um, A lot of that is blamed on him. A lot of that is blamed on Warner Brothers and what they wanted to do. They cut the film down to a kind of close to two hour long runtime. And ever since then, that film was, received extremely poorly of course everyone knows because if they listen to this they obviously know the situation because it's spoilers um but the film is extremely extremely poorly and ever since then uh the Zack snyder super fans the snyder cult as they are known uh have constantly uh been advocating for the release of the snyder cut release the snyder cut release the snyder cut release the snyder cut for years and years and eventually 
within the last year, uh, the HBO uh, and and Warner Brothers announced that they will be releasing. They're releasing a version of the Justice League, which is a lot more closer to Zack Snyder's original vision. Zack Snyder had full creative uh, power over the project. He could try to create the closest thing to his original vision as possible. And it came up with originally supposed to be a six episode miniseries, but was essentially turned into a four hour long epic. Uh, and that was released recently uh, last week uh, on HBO Max in America and now TV in the UK. Neither of us have seen the Justice League, this is now dubbed the original version of the Justice League, <laughs> um, because mainly because we wanted to experience it without any bias. We want to experience this film purely as a piece of cinema rather than a director's cut. Um, and oh, I don't know where we start talking about this. This is um, let's just let's just say I want to say from the outset here. Um. So, obviously, I, know, I mentioned before how Disney have come out and said, yeah, Falcon with a Soldier, it's got, like, the highest premiere, you know, number of views on any Disney Plus show ever. Well done, yay, we love Falcon with a Soldier. Right? For, let's just say that Warner Brothers and HBO, it's a lose-lose situation if they announce the number of viewers of the Justice League Snyder Cut. Right. If they announced that it flopped, which I'd highly doubt based on social media, if they announced that not many people saw it, then, you know, it's going to be, you know, everyone's going to be saying, oh, no one cared for it, blah, blah, blah. And if it absolutely blew, you know, anything else out of the water, you know, imagine if it, imagine if it comes close to the, or even exceeds the Wonder Woman 1984 figures, can you imagine how much uproar there's going to be? <laughs> right. That yeah, I understand anything else. So it's a difficult situation. You're true. My my yeah. Yeah, definitely. There is um the thing is you say based on social media. We do live in an echo chamber. We are we follow film fans and fans of the DCU and fans of, of superhero films who are all going to watching it. My question is I very would be very much be intrigued to see the release number figures due to the fact that do you think I don't? I'm not sure if the casual viewer would be willing to sit through four hours. That's the thing that I that perhaps I've seen a lot of people always... on Facebook groups and stuff who are more is more tailored towards casual film viewers who are like, oh, I want to watch this film. I I want to watch a crime film. Can you recommend me a crime film on Netflix? And then they're like, oh, watch this film, which has got a three and out of ten on IMDb, and it's awful, but I'm gonna recommend it. Um, you know, I'm not trying to gatekeep here or anything, but there's a lot of like Facebook groups that I'm a part of who where there's like very much casual film fans, and obviously there's a lot of people in there who actually like you know follow film quite closely and avidly. But there's you know a lot of casual viewers, and I've seen quite a lot of discussion about um this this film, and you know people saying I've watched it or should I watch it, and then people saying yes or whatever. So I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of interest in the film um and obviously there's probably been a lot of coverage on social media and stuff that people have picked up on and, and maybe the news outlets as well and so on so i'm pretty sure that you know it, it's not necessarily just an exclusively quote-unquote yeah I, I, thing. Wouldn't, I wouldn't say i would not be surprised if this is done exceedingly well and surprisingly well and i would not be surprised if it did worse than we imagined i really would not mm -hmm. be surprised either way because there are definitely a lot of positives <laughs> and negatives for the release um, and I will talk about the four-hour runtime in a bit because obviously that is one of the big uh, story. That's one of the big um, 
talking points. Shall I start off with a sort of description of what happens in the film, Jail? Shall I do that? Go for it. You can do it this time. Yeah, I'll do it this time. Okay, probably, so actually, I watched no, this I, film. I was going to say I can't remember, but I probably could because I've watched like 10 reaction videos to it. So I watched the film yesterday, four hours long, all in one sitting, with my friend Lee, who loves DC, and he hadn't watched it. He's watched Just Sleep four times. So a few times I asked him, is this the same? Is this the same? So let me try and think. Okay, so following from the end of Batman vs. Superman, Superman is dead, right? So Superman's dead, but Batman's still alive. And he knows, based off things that Jesse Eisenberg's left Lex Luthor told him, there is a big problem, a big foe coming to Earth. So he sets aside his time to try and find a group of superhumans, metahumans, to create a group to fight off the potential threat. Whilst this is going on, a number of three different boxes around the, uh, the the world, which contain extreme power and could be used joined together to take over the Earth and subdue and kind of enslave the population, have started coming alive again. These three different boxes are in Atlantis, uh, uh, Amazonia, and in America. Owned Amazonia. by <laughs> What's it called? Uh, I can't even remember myself, but it's not Amazonia. Is it not Amazonia? Uh, it's like... No, what's it called? I'll Google it. It's like got some... I can't remember what it's called. If, okay. If it, uh, you carry on. Okay. Um, so where the Amazons live. And this big, massive beast... Themysteria. The Mysteria, I've never heard that before. Okay. Yeah. Whilst whilst Batman is trying to to assemble this team, which includes the likes of Aquaman uh, and and the Flash and Wonder Woman um, and Cyborg, uh, this this big beastie Steppenwolf uh, tries to claim these three to appease his master um, Darkseid, who he f- who he um, backstabbed earlier or something, and. Mm. What and they? Oh God! What actually happens in this film? Uh, so yeah, yeah, they get the boxes. So they get what? so they manage to over time. Bruce Wayne eventually manages to get everyone on board, and during that time, the big timorous beastie uh, Steppenwolf manages to collect two of the boxes. Mm-hmm. That Cyborg joins the team and brings with him a box. They use the box to bring back Superman. Uh, to try and fight off Steppenwolf. However, Superman comes back in as evil. They get Lois Lane to convince him to join the team, but he takes ages to do so. They go to fight Steppenwolf, and they are about to lose, and they need the power of the Flash's superhuman speed to like uh, explode power to let Cyborg get inside the box and kill Steppenwolf or something. No, get inside the box and stop the connection. Stop. Yeah. Um, but he kind of fails and then because he goes so fast he kind of goes back in time and then Superman shows up and saves the day and they all fight him off and they manage to do it in the end and they get Cyborg inside the box and they kill they, they stop the connection to Steppenwolf and the film kind of comes to an end and then there's like 18 like post credit scene kind of things <laughs> like different things happening where <laughs> like showing future things like Darkseid is going to come back then Jesse Eisenberg escapes and he meets Deathstroke and then uh, Ben Affleck has a nightmare about meeting Jared Leto's Joker in the, the thing case called Nightmare with a K, like a nightmare. And um, fuck, have I got anything else? 
Jesus uh, Christ, this then, film is so packed full of shite. Uh, not and in a then, bad way, shite. Oh, yeah, Martian Manhunter shows Martian up. Martian Manhunter, yeah. Man, this film is filled with stuff. You wow, also, you also, I mean, you, you, one thing you uh, did notice you got wrong there was you said Superman arrived after the Flash thing. That was, that was not right. Did not? No, because Superman was there when Flash undid everything. Oh, right, yeah, you're right. But yeah, that's pretty much spot on. That's a very... What's the word? Knackered now. You out of breath. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That was almost as long as the Snyder Cut. Yeah, exactly. So, a lot of stuff happens. So yes. much build up for this. Yes. Um, an awful lot of fear that it wasn't going to live up to expectation. A lot of expectation that it would... You know, be the best superhero from ever, uh, and the people saying, you know, that Batman Superman wasn't very good, Man of Steel wasn't great, and people have issues with the original Watchmen, and people have problems with Three Hundred. Uh, you know, there was there was these kind of group of kind of Snyder fans that were going to love it no matter how bad it was. There are a bunch of haters that were going to hate it no matter how good it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's, it's in a very very strange situation compared to to all other films. Um, yeah. it, it sets up many. Uh, cliffhangers and um shouts out and 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 kind of um kind of winks and and makes loads of assumptions for films that will never actually get made um i I guess i'm gonna stop fucking around and just ask you jordan mcdonald what did you think of Zack snyder's justice league okay so as we've we've mentioned uh neither of us had seen the justice league as it's been infamously dubbed and I will say I am very glad I did not go into this film having seen that other film because that film sounds like utter trash. And, uh, you know, having watched the Snyder Cut, I, I went onto YouTube and there's a couple of channels I've seen with sort of minor followings, but who are very much uh, on board with, you know, and were on board in the past with release the Snyder Cut and have done various videos sort of mocking the, the Joss Whedon version. And uh, I thought they were very funny because some of the clips I saw were outright trash. And I'm just so glad I did not watch that theatrical 2017 version. I'm also very glad that I saved watching Man of Steel and Ultimate Edition of BVS for the week leading up to this film because I honestly thought I was going to get superhero burnout. I watched Civil War after Justice League and I just thought... I'm getting bored of action. For, I'm getting bored of all these fight sequences and stuff. But then I realised when I was watching that, it's probably because I've seen a couple of these bits from Civil War. And then when it came to Falcon and Soldier, I was like, yeah, I fucking love superhero things. And there's, you know what? I have, like, having gone into the DCU, having only, I only saw, having, before this week, I'd only seen, as I mentioned various times, um, Aquaman and Birds of Prey. Uh, and, yeah, I was thoroughly just on board with this film. Um, I can see now why people were so adamant and sort of desperate to get the original vision of Zack Schneider, you know, as as maybe polarising as his films can be. I think it's, you know... A, a film like like this, on, on the scale it was, was intended to be to be made... For another director to then come in and change a bunch of things with reshoots and just the way that it was put together, just I don't know. I, I'm very much on board with the the Schneider cult, as you've called them. 
um, because I think this version of the film uh, was was great. I really enjoyed it. Four hours flew by for me. Um, I know my dad was like at various times like, how long's left? Oh my god, there's still two hours left. Uh, at this point, we'd finished the last one. But I think that was all in jest because I think I watched it with three other people and we I think we all had a great time. I think we all really enjoyed it and I don't know. I'm just glad that I hadn't seen the original because I think that would have maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe it would have made me want it even more but also maybe mm. it would have made me go, oh, that, that film was so bad, like... You know how much better can this be? So I don't know how would have how would have gone into this thinking if I'd have seen the original, but I enjoyed it. Well, I thought I it was really really entertaining. And I, I watched it with my my friend uh, Lee, as I said earlier, uh, and he's seen the original Justice League uh, version. I think something like four times. So in the cinema, and it's always on the app for, for like the, the Virgin Trains app. So. <laughs> up and down the country he's watched it like th- two or three times again and he, he thinks it's shit but he really really liked the Justice League so I don't necessarily think that in necessary because it's so different it's not like Batman Superman the Ultimate Edition this is like such a different film that I don't necessarily think that watching the original probably would have hindered your opinion that much yeah maybe not but I mean okay overall I mean I've just given a, a, a massive two minutes of waffle uh, there about and I've not really given much of a thought other than said it's, I enjoyed it and I was on board and I thought it was entertaining but what I will say is, this was a four-hour epic, right? And, I mean, sure, some... I mean, I've got a couple of notes here on my phone, and I'm just rambling now, because... I don't know. I, like, I'm trying to find... Like, there's obviously... Of course, there's flaws with the film. And even in, even in a four-hour runtime, there's things which maybe weren't explained or didn't make much sense. Like, um, I don't know, there's a couple of moments where I was like this wasn't explained well enough for me to understand how or why it's happening or, you know, for example, there's the whole thing about, um, about the anti-life and how it's on earth, but then somehow Darkseid forgets where earth is and that it's this world that has anti-life on it. And, you know, but then I don't know, there's a couple of theories around about multiverse and, you know, there's the implication in future films such as flash and with the flashpoint stuff that, Maybe he doesn't know which Earth it's on, which maybe explains the... I don't know. There's a, there's a bunch of different things right. I've read about theories about how that makes sense. And mm-hmm. of course, there's stuff like, how did Diana know who Steppenwolf was? And, you know, how did they forget where Earth was? And how did they forget Antilife was there? But you know what? I'm Criticisms aside and flaws and plot holes and whatever else aside, I thought... This film, for how much hype there's been around it, I went into it kind of expecting it to be good and expecting it to, you know, live up to the the hype that it, that it had around it. And I really, really thought this was a great film. I mean, four hours flew by. Um, I thought the six sort of act structure, which you alluded to earlier, has potentially been released originally as a miniseries and, and then ultimately just got released as a four-hour film. I personally think the six act structure worked really well, but I think as well that I would have not enjoyed it as much as a miniseries i think the sitting down for this kind of big event um of a four-hour film i think really enhanced the experience i'm really hoping that we get chance to see this in a cinema at some point i would definitely sit down and watch this again um and obviously there's never tough comparisons to you know as you mentioned earlier infinity war and endgame and so on but i mean it's also easy to forget that that kind of contradicts the criticism of 
they rush this and stuff that other people have said because you have to imagine that this this film is comparable to the Avengers and not the Avengers Endgame. It's the first collab film with all of the heroes, and I think as a film which introduces so many strands, I think the Schneider cut did a really good job of balancing. You know, obviously the established characters of of Wonder Woman. Um, I mean, in in chronological order of Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman, but then obviously bringing in Aquaman, Cyborg, and Flash. I think it was done really well, handled really well. Um, yeah, and and I just thought, yeah, it was very entertaining and some really really sort of moments which maybe kind of you know as I've I've, I've mentioned that it's not really comparable in terms of its status in its universe as Infinity War and Game, but there were definitely moments in this film where I was like, that is on a par with some of the moments, some of the big, big exciting moments from those films. Um, and as someone who's, as, as I mentioned, traditionally more into Marvel and MCU and hadn't really seen much of DC before now, I'm just amazed that I was so on board with this film, especially for someone who hadn't seen the original and had no reason to really be pushing for this version to be released. Um, I was on board all the way. Um, I'm just curious. Uh, what do you think I think of it? I don't know. I I think you're gonna say what I think as well, but I think our ratings are gonna be different because okay, I I mentioned I had notes here and I've not actually read them out. Um, but I think this is what you're gonna think as well, which is I was constantly che- not not constantly checking, but. Whenever I paused it for like a toilet break or a drink or whatever, then I would be looking at the runtime and I wouldn't be like. Usually, if I'm checking the runtime of a film, it's because I'm like, oh, this is dragging now. Like, come on, there's like, there's still 45 minutes left. Come on, like, he's, mm. I'm getting bored now. I was honestly checking the runtime 99% because I was intrigued and not because mm. I was getting exhausted. Like, I was like, oh my god, there's still two hours left. Like, you know, right. what's going to happen, Yeah. you know, what strands are going to come into play, what's going to happen with, like, Superman, what's going to happen with Flash or whatever. And I think with hindsight and, like, in a, in, in a retrospective way, I think the four-hour runtime, sure, it's easier to fix things that aren't working in a film when you've got the, almost like the, you know, the data collection of, of the original theatrical version. Um... You know, you can include mm. everything because it's a director's cut with unlimited control, and you know, I think HBO Max would have aired it if it was six hours. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, I'm, I don't think that the runtime was necessarily restricted in any way. So I think you know, you, you can include everything in this version, even things that might originally have been cut or been different in in you know in a hypothetical universe where Zack Snyder does release it in 2017. I don't think it would have been four hours long. Yeah. Um, so in that regard, I think you'll agree with me on the runtime that four hours was obviously a long runtime, and not everything in the film would have been in the in the original theatrical cut. However, as an experience and as an event, and as just here is my true vision, I think it worked really well. Yeah, I think I generally would say the same. Yeah, I um I came here. I did not say I I. I know more about Marvel. Uh, I've watched more Marvel. I do not consider myself a Marvel fanboy. I enjoy a lot of these characters, especially the Batman kind of universe, you know, Joker and, and Harley Quinn and etc. Um, so I was, I was coming here 
kind of very excited and very hopeful that it would be everything that people wanted it to be. And for the most part, I really, really, really enjoyed this film. I thought, um, you know, that, that there was a definite chance this film was going to stink in my head. I was like, there is a, a percentage that this is just going to be, you know, his wank fest of, of everything he could have possibly wanted. And I, I'm not particularly a big fan of, of either of the two DC films he made before. And I'm not a massive fan of 300. I haven't seen Watchmen. Um, but I, I, yeah, I was really, really impressed. I do have some thoughts on the runtime. I will agree that I didn't find myself really bored. I did find myself like dragged at points. I was a little bit like some of the action scenes. I was a little bit like, mm, you know, I'm a little bit, you know, can we hurry up this hour? But yeah, I will talk about my runtime. Uh, and I think that going back, you know, with the amount of build up to the characters we've got, that's a lot of the, what people talk about for the, the differences between the versions. A lot of the characters, especially Cyborg and Flash, were given so much time to build up the characters and improve the characters yeah. that you just didn't see in the original. And generally, that is what seems to be the case in most director's cuts, is that a lot of the time, that supporting characters or secondary characters have a lot of their scenes cut in theatrical versions that are restored in directorial cuts, in director's cuts, that kind of allow you to get the best of that character. That was definitely the way it was in Batman vs Superman, where we saw a lot more after the secondary cuts like Lois Lane. And and in this, you know, realistically, were they were they ever going to make a four hour cut uh, in the cinema? No, so maybe it was inevitable that the scenes for the the, the Flash and, and Cyborg were going to get cut. Yeah. Now watching this back, those scenes are so integral to what makes this film good. The fact that they chose to focus so heavily on Cyborg and give him such a backstory was one of the reasons why this film was so enjoyable. So, I think that we should not be talking about cutting this film down. We should be talking about making this film longer. But you confused? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not confused. I... Yeah. You know what I'm gonna say? They should have. This should never have been one film. This should never have been a single film in the cinema. Now, Justice League as a cut, in the situation we're in, mm, it works fine. I also disagree on that front though as well. Because there is a perfect cut point, two and a half hours in, where it literally goes from one film to the next. You know, all of the moments change. The whole story is flipped on its head when they bring back Superman. It's such a perfect time for the film to end. He rises from the top and everybody's mm. excited. You don't know he's going to be the bad guy. That is a the perfect, perfect time to then you get, an, that's two and a half hours in. That means you get a whole extra hour to flesh out and give real purpose and intrigue to the villains, to the, the outcome, the thing to is... what happens in the epilogue. I feel like this film was never, this never could, should have been one film. Does enough happen in the first two and a half hours? Like, okay, that's, yes. this, has, this has to be critical of yes. one time. Like, oh, it's two and a half hours. Doesn't need to be that long. But does enough happen in that two hours for it to justify yes. being a full film? Yes, completely. Yes, I 100%. Think? I think that you've got this big, it's, you know, almost Infinity War you've got this big, you know, when that film splits, when Infinity War turns into Endgame, you have a point where the whole story is turned its head with the snap. That's what it feels like. You've got all this build-up. You introduce all the characters. You get them to a point. They find a way to to change the situation. Of course, in the in, in Infinity War, it's about the bad guy, what he does. And this is what the good guys. They find a way to turn the whole bat on the head and get an advantage. And it's all at a build-up. All the characters, how they get to that point. And it culminates mm. this massive event. They finally bring back Superman. They finally I find guess. a way to win. He rises from the ashes. Even if you want to have him then trying to kill someone. You could even do that. End it on a, on a surprise. Like, oh my God, he tried to kill someone. Well, I think have him rise in the ashes excited. You think, oh my God, what's going to happen now they've got Superman? He's back from the dead. Everyone thought he was dead. 
I think that the, that first two and a half hours was, you know, it did just enough for every single character for them to have an arc, for them to be introduced, for you to know who they are, to yeah. know what's going to happen, for the team to form. By the end of that film, the team has formed. Even without Superman, it's to have that conversation about bringing them back in that room. That's That, for me, is a perfect film. Not a perfect film, but that's a perfect runtime. That's a great film. If, that's an 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10 If it was going to be like... Okay, I kind of agree with you somewhat, but also part of me is thinking... If there wasn't going to be a trilogy of films originally, then sure, make this like two parts or like. But the thing is that that way that that's kind of more of like Justice League Part One, Justice League Part Two, than a Justice League One, Justice League Two, Justice League Three. Yeah, well, like, I don't know how you, how you do it things, but I definitely think this should have been a Part One, Part Two situation because that mm, also makes I, that it makes it way more important. I feel. I think the first two and a half hours that you mentioned, though, up until that moment, is more kind of... It's like really nice vignettes of sort of independent sort of character beats. Because obviously you've got like, you know, the Flash, you know, pre-recruitment and, and Aquaman and um, and Cyborg. And then you kind of have like the moments of like Diana going to meet Cyborg. And it almost feels like... If this wasn't, if this was like less than four hours, it's it, I don't know because it's so long and expansive. But after that, po- after that two and a half hour point, it then flips a switch, like you mentioned, and kind of goes into that more action beat kind of typical third act superhero film. Before that, it's almost like not your t- traditional first two acts of a superhero film, in the sense that it's kind of more of these like vignettes. It. I don't know. It kind of feels different to Infinity I War think... in that regard, but also then I don't know. Maybe it's similar because you've got, you know, Thor going to get Stormbreaker, and then I the think that would be a stuff way and... bigger issue if they had made a Fouch film and a Cyborg film because I think the audience are interested in these vignettes of how they live because we haven't seen them before. This is, you know, so much of the runtime is set introducing and setting up these characters that I feel like the, the audience are prepared to go through that journey because they're interested in the characters they've not yeah. seen before. I think it works fine. And I think That's I will true. say that the two and a half hours before Superman shows up are a lot stronger than the hour and a half after he does. And that's not because I don't like Superman. That's because I feel like that's a way more developed set of the film. And that might be due to the fact that Snyder left early and therefore had a lot more impact it's like the start and less than the end. Yeah, it, I, I kind of think at that point as well, though it flips. So there's like a... In, in that moment, you've kind of drawn attention to, and it's kind of made me a bit more aware of this, but the first... I've seen criticism of the CG especially in the first sort of hour to two hours of the film in comparison mm. to the end of the film. Mm. And yeah, I I kind of see that moment now that you've mentioned it in The Resurrection as it kind of flips the narrative perhaps and maybe some of the, you know, tropey superhero stuff maybe becomes a bit weaker or it's stronger in whichever way you want to look at it. But the definitely, I felt the CG got stronger. I felt the sort of individual, impactful, memorable moments got stronger um, after that point as well. And before that, it was like the CG was a bit inconsistent before that point. But also, hmm. maybe the character development was stronger, and the and some of the plot points were a bit stronger um, leading up to that moment. So yeah. 
I, in my head, like a pivotal I moment. can't, ever since I, not at the end of the film, when I was literally at that point, when I was at that point when he came out, I said to my friend, this is when the film should end, this is when number two should start. And I can't get out of my head because it just feels like those films are so different. The way that the characters, the, the not only is it's... the, the, their motivation changes, their enemies change, their thoughts on how to deal with the issue changes. So much of, of what happens in that film completely changes during the runtime and that is the point where it's no easily definable um i think that if you give the second half of that film an extra hour an extra hour and 20 minutes you want to make it a bit of three hour film two hour 40 or something in that you know you can flesh out superman as a le- legitimate threat to a much more so much stronger degree if he mm-hmm. he is a bad guy for one scene and he then he just fucks off you know if you really made him out to be their threat their thing where you've got you know you can spend the first half of that film dealing with him and you really and then when he comes back that's a much bigger moment because i think we all knew from minute one that superman was going to turn and and help him out at the end of the film if you kind of make out to be a real legitimate threat you can almost trick the audience into thinking that he's the bad version um i do think that that you know everyone's going to, i think everyone's thinking about how this could have been made into a film in 2017 by by what could they cut i think realistically the absolute opposite i think they they should add more and make it into two um i've never i haven't heard anyone what? saying that that's just the immediate thing that i couldn't get out of my head from when i watched it going into my actual thoughts on the film uh you know i have to accept that it is a four hour film and it obviously is not you know, in the best situation, even with the Snyder Cut, even with the 70 million quid they spent on making it, uh, you know, over the last year to, to, to restore the visual effects and the score and the editing and all that such. Um, you know, it's obviously not the same film that would have came out if Snyder had full control back then. Even if he could have made a, a, a four-hour cut, it wouldn't be the same film. Um, but looking at it as an actual piece of cinema, I'll say that um, we haven't talked yet about the aspect ratio actually so the film oh, yeah. is in a very strange yeah. aspect ratio 4-3 well, we haven't talked about anything other than just plot points and what we thought right. overall <laughs> yes so, so the aspect ratio is strange the aspect ratio is strange I honestly didn't mind it like I've seen some people on Facebook like on Facebook groups I'm in like oh why is it in 4-3 why can't they have it in widescreen why are we going back to the old days of of, four, of like small things and blah 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 I'm like yeah, but also you have to understand that, like, I don't know. I feel like if a there director, is... if a director's vision of a film is for it to be in four three, then have it in four three. I've also heard. I wouldn't. No, I was just say I've also heard about how, um, if if it ever does get a cinema release, about the IMAX upscaling and stuff, is that um, apparently the four three was something to do with that as well, was but... to do with how they shot it. If, you know, it's never going to make me change my rating. I don't hate this film any more than I would with it being a different aspect ratio. I wouldn't like this film anymore, necessarily, or anything noticeable, by having a better aspect ratio. I do just think it was a slightly strange decision. Uh, I can't say I was a massive fan. I would have preferred it on my screen. However, I'm not that bothered. I'm really not going to cry about it. I, I liked just think it, it to be honest with you. I don't really. I didn't really. Uh, I thought it was. It's, I don't know. I, I kind of. I think it suits some scenes, um, but yeah, I just thought it I'd kind of lends itself more to the kind of mythical, you know, sort of approach that Snyder has to his films. There, I felt like it, I don't know. It just felt the change from the previous films, especially. Obviously, having watched those two in the run-up, or well, three in the run-up. 
is it kind of helped with the tone, I felt, and it, it kind of helped with just distinguishing in it as, a, as its own thing. Obviously, you know, Zack Schneider directing Man of Steel and BVS, and I think all three of the films felt very different. Like, if you mm. put those three films to me and said, you know, Zack Schneider acted all three of these, I don't know. I could probably just about, you know, tell, but there was a, there was a very stark differences, I felt, tonally and um, sort of the way they were done. I felt were, I think, the, the I three think, films were quite different from one another, so... I think Batman vs Superman is much more similar to Justice League than either Justice League or Batman vs Superman is to Man of Steel. I think Man of Steel is the big outlier in the way that it's tonally, it feels, it's way more... It's sort of colour-wise yeah. upbeat and and um, kind of traditionally comic booky. Uh, this mm. film is quite dark. I have seen clips of the original Justice League, especially the fight with Superman. They yes. have post thing, <laughs> and the color grade is so much better. The color grade is excellent. Mm-hmm. Here. Yeah, I think the color grade throughout it is very the good. Col- have you film. have you seen the have, the final scene? Not the final scene, but the bit with Flash and Thingy running, mm. and the CG looks absolutely abysmal. We're in the original, like yeah, in the original. Yeah, I've not seen. I've not seen that. And I've just seen some comparison videos of like as well. inconsistencies in the original version, which is which is terrific. Like the original just looks so bad. Like, I just want to say out here, I do not have any disrespect for Joss Whedon. I do not think Joss Whedon is at fault for what came out in 2017. I do not think Joss Whedon deserves criticism really? because the, I'm just thinking it is not his fault that he worked for Warner Brothers. He no, didn't but... have any decision here. He didn't want to make the film he wanted to either. But he was brought in to do a job, and he did a job. He they wanted it. They wanted it to have a lighter tone. They wanted it to be a shorter runtime. They wanted to do this. They wanted to do that. And he did what he was told to do, and he got paid, and he left. But Joss there's a difference does not between... deserve any criticism for what happened. It was not a good film, but it was not his film. It was not Zack Snyder's film. It was Warner Brothers' film. I'm not a massive fan of Avengers films. I think Avengers: Age of Ultron is decent. I think original Avengers isn't great. I'd say I, I haven't seen enough Buffy to judge it. And obviously, he is a piece of shit if what has come out about him but recently... Based, but surely based on true, what, what's come out, based fault. on Gal Gadot and, and Ray Fisher and all the crew and stuff who've come out against him, like, well, yeah, you can tell... Also, you can say, tell... He is a piece of shit, you know, yeah. because of, of the, his... his if if you believe what what has come out about his uh But you look at some of the things that he does in that film and you... Like, I've seen some of, like, I went back after Zack Snyder's Justice League and, and watched the original, some of the clips from the original, and there's just some moments in that film that are just utterly baffling. Like, how on earth did you decide this was this was in any way, shape, or form good enough to put into a, into the film? There's moments <laughs> of, like, Flash, like, cop, like the, the moment from Avengers, the first one, where Bruce Banner lands on top of Black Widow is, like, replicated in this, in the original, with, like, Flash and Wonder Woman. And there's, like, loads of, like, really strange things that, he does differently with Wonder Woman especially and, and obviously Cyborg did the whole treatment of his character that the scenes in the Zack Snyder just leak that were cut from the original where I'm just like how was this not in the original film? But like, that's the thing is I don't I think that the the blame is maybe 80-20 on, on Warner Brothers uh, and, and 20 on, on Joss um, I mean Warner Brothers definitely fucked up with it's this. It's mainly Warner Brothers I think that a lot of the decisions about the things he chose to leave in or reshoot are based on the fact that he was working to a uh, what he you know to to 
a, a plan to a, a thing that they wanted to do. They wanted a lighter tone. They understood how well the Avengers did. They wanted to have that thing. They wanted to be short. They wanted it to be commercially available. They wanted it to be, you know, bright and, and visually, you know, stunning in that traditional way. They wanted Superman to be wearing red because he's, it's, it's what he traditionally looks like. All those kind of things. I don't think that he made many of those decisions. Of course, the way he went about uh, necessarily ticking all those boxes, that may have been him. The way he decided to make the the film fit those tone and, and do these things, I think that may have been up to him. But he was still working to a brief that in itself was flawed. I think that his his maybe he's some criticism in the way he decides to fit that brief, but I think in general, the main shade of the abuse is should be aimed at Warner Brothers. I say 80-20. I think Joss Whedon, you know, he, he has made films far better than what came out in 2017, based off what I've seen uh, in the past. I don't think that that's all on him. I think that Warner Brothers deserves the main state of the abuse there. Okay. I, as, yeah. I mean, one thing I will say is, this is very much retrospective as well, obviously, in comparison. And I haven't seen the original in full, so, you know, don't necessarily quote my opinion as, as gospel, but... Huh, just... Never mind. Um, but no, um, I mean, in retrospectable, it's kind of interesting to think that there's been so many comparisons to the Zack Snyder cut to Infinity War and Endgame when you consider that the original Justice League would have been released before Infinity War was released. Yeah, like people can criticizing it being kind of copying with the the, the trying to get t- together a set of world breaking, you know, um, items and stuff like people using mm-hmm. that kind of thing and, and different places around the world. You know, you can have crit- if you want criticism for that, go to DC Comics, go to Marvel Comics. They've been copying each other's storylines like that for years. This isn't about the films. This is about the source material, and you can look back and say. Well, this Marvel comic did it first, but no, this DC yeah. comic did it first. This Marvel, these are just you know quests to get items, and not new. That Infinity War did not invent that. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a ridiculous. Criticism, no, I, yeah, but I mean overall, just on a technical level, I thought this film, I thought the cinematography in so many instances was absolutely beautiful. Um, there's so many sort of, obviously you have like the. You know the typical superhero lineup, wallpaper splash pages. You know, and there's the the one with the Batmobile and the one at the end of the film where they're lined up on the top of the thing with the Bat thing arriving to pick them up. You know, there's there's all there's all those sort of you know superhero tropey lineup things, which are still cool and really fun to see. But you also get some really just I say typical Zack Snyder as if it's a bad thing, just really interesting cinematography and just yeah i just thought it visually the film was great like yeah, it, looked, it was yeah, really it, it was really beautiful, beautiful. i think it looked very yeah. very good it was one of the better uh for cinematography wise i think it's um within the top two or three when it comes to dcu films um uh, you know i think it's um it's probably top two i think that um you know it's up there with with uh, at command for cinematography um yeah really 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 nice looking um, the score was excellent. Um, the, the score was great. Yeah. Junkie XL, very very good. I say that when it comes to the score being made for the film was very good. I did have an issue with some of the choices with uh, kind of the soundtrack, the the kind of um, the prop real you know ex- already made songs that were thrown in earlier in the film. I thought some of that was a bit um, iffy at points. But I thought the, I don't the know. made I, I didn't score mind any of that really. Yeah, it was it was good. Um, should I? Gonna throw up my one of my big criticisms here. 
which is I had a issue uh, with a lot of the dialogue, I'll say. Um, when it comes to interactions between superheroes in uh, a serious manner, um, I did not have an issue with it. Uh, with a lot of the um, kind of more important monologues, no issue. What I had was the corniness of a lot of the dialogue. I know you've got characters like The Flash, where that is a bit part of their, their story, a bit like Spider-Man. Um, but it was so overused, uh, it was so much was cheesy, and I think so much of it that was not meant to be cheesy was cheesy. A lot of Wonder Woman's lines, a lot of Aquaman's lines, characters yeah. that were supposed to be badass, was really, really childish and really, really painful. I think I have an issue with a lot of these kind of, you know, very superman uh, very superhero-y, jumping into a scene and, and, and kind of trying to verbally kick the opponent's ass uh, before they actually do it. I thought a lot of that was very cheesy. That was one of the big issues I had with the film. I think... I don't know. I think I think my biggest Stephen issue. Wolf's, with the... Stephen Wolf's dialogue as well was was quite poor. I think overall. So. Really? Yeah, I, th- I thought. Well, that, you know, uh, yeah, I thought Stephen was. Um... I thought Stephen Wolf, in comparison to some of the things I've heard about him in the original version, where he's basically just a caricature, awful, un, no motivation villain who has no reason to do anything and is looks and sounds and just does stupid things and you know is a bad villain um i don't know i thought yeah, especially the, the cg especially Thanks. enhanced that because i think like yeah. it definitely helped the dialogue helped definitely flesh out his sort of background what what he was doing why he was doing it and i don't know not sympathetic i mean this is going back to like the thanos comparison and i hate to do that because you know as you've said whatever you know let's not do that but i think on a, on a level in which you can kind of sympathise a bit more with, with him. I don't know. I think the dialogue was okay. I think the second half of the film, his, his dialogue was worse than it was in the first thing. It, it got a little bit more, um, yeah, a little bit kind of more typical bad guy I think, towards the end. Uh, the beginning, I think it's no problem with his motives or his storyline. I just thought that some of his dialogue was a bit poor. Uh, but yeah, I think the main issue I have of it was the kind of corniness of a lot of the lines. From, I think my, um, from the, I think my from the big Justin thing himself. with the the dialogue is there's a couple of lines which really didn't work for people I watched it with who which really did work for me like there's the moment at the end of the film where Flash sort of speaks to his father and sort of you know yeah, tells him that. yeah I thought that was great but my, my dad was like not having I, my dad just didn't like that <laughs> but no I think I think my big issue with the dialogue was there was a couple of lines which were supposed to be really serious which came off as comical and I'm not sure if that's just because they didn't reshoot it or it I don't know whether it was supposed to be comical or it just came across like it was... Like, it kind of felt a bit blurred where it was supposed to be, like, is that supposed to be serious or comical? And it felt like it was supposed to be serious and it didn't feel serious, so it felt comical, if that makes sense. Like, there's a moment with... um, I forgot what what the line was or the moment in the film was, but there's a line that Cyborg said at one point. It was something about, like... Oh, it was like oh, I can't remember what it was now. He basically said something along the lines of like, "Oh, but I'm this now" or something. I can't remember what it was. And the way he delivered it, I felt like it was supposed to be serious and like the cyborg is kind of like you know a diff- almost like a different persona to to um, Victor. Yeah. But then, because it, it was del- it was delivered directly after a flashback, I think. So it was kind mm. of unclear whether it's supposed to be like showing a return to him as cyborg or if it was supposed to be delivered you know it 
I don't know. It just came across as yeah. As I said, I didn't really cheesy. have any issue with the with the human dialogue. I had a lot of issue with the superhero dialogue. You know, when I I didn't care about him when he was uh, Victor. I didn't care about his dialogue when he was Barry Allen. I had an issue when he was Cyborg. I had an issue when he was Flash. Uh, that's what really cheesed me out. You know, I quite like the cheesy. balance though, um, especially seeing some of the absolute awful jokes that are made with the Josh Whedon version. I think some of some of the comedy actually worked quite well in this film as well. It did yeah, like a really good balance yeah. of of managing yeah. sort of the the serious nature of of the events and the more like kind of like light hearted. There were some points comedy. where I had issues, but in general, I don't think it was too yeah. bad. I thought um, I thought a lot of the Batflex funny dialogue was was good. That uh, they they. They they dealt with the, the Batman's oh, the, kind of comedic side quite well. Yeah, the I'm rich line was just yeah, absolutely was spot on. That yeah, was, was really good. And the buying the bank bit was funny as well towards the end. Also, okay, like I mean, we're getting onto an hour and a half now. But did you? It's a couple of things that like people mentioned that I just didn't even pick up on in the film, and I'm not sure if it's supposed to be like hidden or like just not drawn attention to in this court because you know they know that there's not going to be any future. Or probably won't be any future, but I mean, they also did include Martian Manhunter in this, which we haven't talked about. But like, in the in the scene where Bruce does buy the house back or buy the bank and then you know indirectly get the house, um, there's like Lois apparently is carrying like a baby carrier. And oh yeah, I didn't even notice that. So yeah, I don't know. She put, has a that was... kit, kit in her uh, drawer. Yeah, yeah, I picked up on that, and obviously yeah, like the implication. Yeah, she's supposed to be having a kid called Bruce. Bruce Kent, who's going to be the next Batman. That was the idea, um, which is shit. I'm happy that never happened. <laughs> well, yeah, but also, I've, uh, there was also rumours that Bruce was the father, which is also stupid. That's great, man. That's what I want. There was also, I mean, there's a bunch of stupid things like I've read about like this stuff. Like, oh, oh what's the other one I've read? I can't remember what it was now. There's some stupid theories I've read. <laughs> um mm. I don't know. What do you think of the epilogue as well? Because we haven't really talked about that, and that was like a big part of the film which you know is like however I, long it was 18 minutes or something yeah so um I, i've got a feeling that this is one of the ones the, the issues with with the snyder cut compared to the fact that no not issues this is one of the things that it works because we know the context we know this is the snyder cut we know this is everything thrown in that this would not have worked in the real film um because uh you can't really like tease that much it's got like it's basically consisted of about 18 minutes of different four or five different post-credit scenes that could have happened. Yeah. Um, and I think they all worked individually. They didn't work necessarily um, together. They mm-hmm. didn't necessarily really work together when you're throwing them all one after the other. But if you chose a few of them or chose maybe two of them, it, yeah, they all worked individually. I thought that um, it was really um, dialogue, the nightmare with a K uh, scene in, in that world, Bruce's world, between Jared Leto's Joker and um, Amber Heard. Oh yeah, we're not talking about her. Yeah, she's um, not. She, she on her husband's bed. But the, diff- the 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 conversation between Jared Leto's Joker and Ben Affleck's Batman um, was excellent, um, and maybe the best Joker scene we've ever seen. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, but the- <laughs> no offense. No, no, you know what though? You know what? I'm gonna say it. I I genuinely think if we ever do get Jared Leto as that Joker, as that kind of Joker, I honestly would be on I would be on board. I I think his Jared I think his post credits I think his epilogue scene was great. Jared Leto's Joker in in, in Suicide Squad was obviously shit, right? Everybody knows it was shit, 
right? I do not think that Jared Leto is definitely a bad Joker and could never be a good Joker. I do think that this post-credit scene shows that directed right with a less like ridiculous, um, edgy feel. I mean, obviously he is edgy to a degree, but no, not that kind of like you know whatever Suicide Squad was. I think directed well uh, and treated with the right respect, I think that Jared Leto could make an excellent Joker. Uh, and I think he showed it there. His dialogue with, with Batfleck really worked for me. Uh, I think it showed Not even... a darker Joker in, in, in the DCU and a darker Batman together would work so well. And that dialogue was very, very, very interesting. Not even just the dialogue, though. I thought even the moments in every silence where he's just kind of, you know, cool. the, like, the, like, the out-of-focus really cool. moments of like, the camera and then like... Just the way he was, I don't know, just his physicality, I thought, you know, even yeah. in that sort of brief glimpse we got of, of him, I thought was really good. And I'm intrigued to see if we ever do see him again. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I think the biggest flaws with Jared Leto's Joker is that he's dealing with a character that is so loved for so many different performances. He's up against it. You know, he's dealing yeah. with Heath Ledger's image. He's dealing with Viking Phoenix's image. He's dealing with Jack Nicholson's image. He's even dealing with Cesar Romero's image. Mm, I don't know about that one. Wait. He's dealing with, with Mark I think Hamill's though, right, image. so there's, a, there's an interview that came out today or yesterday um, about one Rivers and saying about how does this mean that Zack Snyder's finished, blah, blah, blah? Does this mean we're going to get a David Ayer cut for Suicide Squad? Right. What What's the what's the deal with the, the, the Suicide Squad, though? We are because... not getting an Ayer cut. They no, but what... Status. Yeah, I know that, but what's the... What What was the reasoning, though? Like, not, not, for, not, not for them not giving us that, but, like, obviously, the Zack Snyder cut makes sense because he wasn't the director and things got changed. Like, what's the justification for the Ayako? Is it because the, the, the he does it the, the studio mandated, or...? There was so much that what they make into the film, that the original film was very changed, that, that Warner right. Brothers made them do a lot of stuff. I think right. Warner Brothers are way more pushy on the directors in general than the MCU has been. Um, yeah, I think that he didn't end up making the film he wanted to do, and a lot of scenes got cut, I think. A lot of Joker scenes got cut, I think. Uh, okay. Because the Joker isn't in that film a lot at all. Uh, obviously, you haven't seen it. He is a minor character in that film. Yeah. Um, it's you know he isn't part of the Suicide Squad. He is kind of just a friend of Harley Quinn that shows up for a while. A boyfriend of Harley Quinn, of course. Um, yeah. So that's not going to happen. I would have liked that to happen because I would like to see some. I'd like to see uh, you know Jared Leto's be able to play Joker that was serious and wasn't you know, the, the living embodiment of 2016 and 21 pilots that we had to uh, deal with back then. Uh, but yeah, so I uh, I would love to see an eye cut, but yeah, it's not going to happen anytime soon and that's 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 what we have to deal with. But Well, if Warner Brothers have gone, are going to, you know, say it comes out right, and, and this does exceptionally well with, with viewers and ratings and whatever, and they've obviously said, yep, Snyder's done, that's his three films, blah, blah, blah. And they kind of obviously are moving away from the Schneiderverse because they've, you know, moved away from him as a director and they've kind of moved on to, you know, the Batman and recast with Pattinson and so on. But honestly, if if HBO Max said to Snyder, right, we're gonna get you for a solo cyborg film, I would I would love I would I would watch it. Yeah, definitely. I think um this film it treat he's the main character basically. Uh, this film. So That's I'm what I was going to say as well before I forgot to say it. You said before about how um, 
how Lois became how like for example in Batman Superman how Lois as a side character kind of got elevated and then how in this film Cyborg and Flash are side characters got in this version of the film Cyborg and Flash are like the two main driving forces of the plot for like the third act of the film <laughs> like they're not side characters in this version of the film and how they're not in the f- original film in any capacity significant capacity just baffles me like that's like two of the biggest moments of the film and what they just didn't do that in the original version mm-hmm. and then the cg as well for those for the flash and cyborg i thought the cyborg stuff was really cool i thought the flash cg was really good people complaining that he wasn't yellow lightning i honestly don't care like i don't i don't have that much of attachment to flash maybe some people who've seen flash and love the character you know want that i honestly don't care about that that's that's like a very minuscule thing for me at that at this point because i don't know i just thought that, i just thought especially in, as i mentioned before in that third act the cg was i thought was really really good yeah um i think that generally it was yeah it was pretty damn good especially knowing it, this wasn't like treat in the same traditional cinema way you know that yeah you know, this was, was made to quite a thing i think yeah the cg was generally pretty good and i didn't i don't i don't know enough to, to care about yellow lining or whatever that is um no yellow lightning yellow lightning oh right yeah I don't you know when he's running it's like blue yeah well people say they want it to be yellow because it's flash but i'm like i don't care about that that's really not the my main thought process when i'm watching justice league <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know, so. um but yeah, so yeah, I think that the SCG was 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 strong. Um, it's so I don't know. It's pretty damn positive all round. I think from from both of us here, uh, technically great. Um, had some I had some issues with writing, perhaps the dialogue, but generally it was it was pretty good, especially on a human level. I thought it was pretty emotional. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. shame that it's a shame that he you know set up so many films that aren't going to happen, so many stories that aren't going to happen. Yeah. I wish they would. I kind of do agree with the Snyderverse thing, but it's unrealistic. Um, we talk uh, about humanizing characters in, in Falcon Winter Soldier and One Division, though, and we look at this and we just get, you know, some really truly gripping moments with Cyborg, with Flash, with Wonder Woman, which just didn't work in the original version. Uh, Aquaman. Then we also, you know, have you, have you heard about that the story around the the actress who played the um, the woman of the ATM scene with Cyborg? No. So she didn't know whether her version was going to be restored or not, and then she found out when it like aired. Basically, she didn't know until then. Oh, and really? there's like a bit, like a bit, really big like positive reaction around that scene and around that sort of subplot. And yeah, just it kind of really blew her away, and she's been really sort of. It's sort of been talking about it on social media and stuff. Um, yeah, I just love giving those characters you know, that 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 extra bit of. of uh... Interest, yeah. you know, a little bit of that, especially with the flash, you know, giving him that extra backstory. You know, that's what I want from a director's cut, um, regardless if it's like this big different yeah. version or if it's thing. That's what I want it's, from director's cuts is, is those characters getting getting more interest, you know, more. more it kind of comes back to the Disney Plus stuff, though, as well, though, because we've talked about how you know, if we didn't have these shows like Falcon Winter Soldier and those characters, you know, aren't aren't as developed or whatever. And then you think about someone like Hawkeye in the MCU, and you're like, everyone sort of thinks Hawkeye is like this you know, F-tier character who no one cares about and hasn't been developed enough for people to care about, but then we're going to get an entire show <laughs> with yeah, him. Yeah. And it, I don't know, it's just like giving time to these characters who really deserve it and if, you know, had the time and sort of place to grow, then uh, fans can kind of come to love them as much as, as the, the big dogs, as, as you could call them that, so... 
Yeah. I'm I just... wanted to give her time. And I don't like to insult people that work so much higher than me do that I do and, and do dream jobs and, and obviously professionals. But one thing I got from this, uh, and the edit maybe cut covered some of it, but I just don't think Gal Gadot is a very good actress. See, this, this is... I'm conflicted on this issue. I just don't think she's very good. But I... I... I think I'm kind of torn. I mean, her line delivery is really, really. I don't know. I don't know. I honestly, I was so torn watching this film. I was like, "Is that line delivery good or bad?" And I, and and the, and maybe that's a bad thing that I couldn't necessarily work it out whether it was in her character or not. But maybe that's because I've not really known Wonder Woman as a character like that well in in the past. But like, there was um. There's a comparison of, you know, this, this, you mentioned before the comparison between the Joss Whedon version and the Snyder cut of the Superman fight scene where they line up against Superman. Yeah. And the line delivery that was used in the Whedon cut when she says, Kal-El, no. I mean, that's become a meme of itself because the line delivery was absolutely abysmal. Um, I don't think the new one was that much better. No, I fully disagree with that. I think she, when she said that line in the Snyder version, there was so much more conviction and almost like drawing upon his the history of like amazonians and like sort of knowing about his history and like kryptonians and stuff it there was a 10 million times more conviction in the line delivery between those two versions yeah i just don't i just don't i just feels really it felt it felt more like a command dry, as well like i just I she, know, she I like just... lassos him and like sort of tries to like almost like tame him if that's what you want to say and the i don't know the conviction in that line felt like almost like a command rather than like a request and i just felt like the line delivery there was way better than the original that i've seen on youtube i'm just not i just you know i've watched both of the films and i've i've, I've seen her four marvel film uh, four dcu films now and you know i don't know what i said in the 1984 review but she's you know she's pretty average in it and i don't think she's great in the original wonder woman and i just don't think she's really good here and maybe it's not, not suit the character maybe that's just me i just Maybe she's not a great actress. I just I've seen so many people say she's like a perfect caster. Do you not? Do you not think she looks like a Wonder Woman? Do you not think that compared to Wonder Woman, though, this version of like the Snyder version, because obviously you have to remember that. So, if if okay, let's just say twenty seventeen. This this film came out right. Right. The original plan was to have two more Justice League films, in which the third film would kind of be a manifestation of the nightmare stuff where. You know, we'd get that epilogue, which is like supposed to be like a kind of like future flash forward almost, right? Mm-hmm. But like, what was the other? Was there any other Snyder stuff planned? Like, because there was there was obviously the Batfleck movie, which was how Deathstroke in, which was a separate sequel. Um, he, which he's was talked separate about to a second League. and third Justice League film, and he's talked about wanting to make a film with. Um, I can't remember. He said they say like Justice League three would have done this and Justice League two would have done that. Yeah, they had storyboards and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's that. But is that it? Is it was that was that his bill? Was it just the three Justice League films, or was there anything else that he planned? Because I know the Ben Affleck, I know the solo Batman film with Deathstroke was going to be Ben Affleck written and directed. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think he. I think Patty Jenkins was kind of given the keys to Wonder Woman. Uh, I think that he was given the keys to Justice League. Uh, and anything kind of related to that so I guess I know he said that Superman was like uh, the Justice League 3 was going to be a Superman film I think he had interest in doing in Justice League I think he, he was going to be doing the Justice Leagues 
it's 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 weird though. You think right, like compare the MCU, right? I know, and I know we're getting we're gonna have to cut, we're gonna have to end soon, but and we talk and we talk all the time about MCU versus DCU, and we did it in an MCU special. But look at the MCU and how consistent. You know, you you can switch directors. You can have the Russos, or you can have Joss Whedon, or you can have um, I don't know, give me another director who's direct Peyton Reed with Ant Man, or like James Gunn with Guardians of the Galaxy, right? And then you give Guardians of the Galaxy to the Russos and you don't feel the characters have changed, right? You don't feel like yeah. this is a new director, this this you know, they've completely radically changed the, the 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 personalities and so on of the characters. But then you look at like Wonder Woman and I've not seen nine eighty four yet, but I've heard things about nineteen eighty four. And you just compare like I honestly think that Wonder Woman in, in the Snyder version was stronger than Wonder Woman from what I've heard in nine eighty four and in Wonder Woman, the original one? I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'd agree, necessarily. I mean, I don't think she was particularly great in Ivan, to be honest, but I think maybe it's just because of the screen time she gets, and, and that's obviously understandable, but I'd probably say that I think she'd probably be better in the Patty Jenkins films. But, I don't know. I don't know. But it just feels so... To- it, I mean, it is a totally different film, but it just feels like There is a complete an character shift feel for what is a DCEU film. And there is a certainly, since the start of Phase 2, there's certainly been a feel of an overarching MCU-ness. Um, there isn't that. Yeah. Think of how different that Batman vs. Superman feels to Birds of Prey. It's so different. Think of how different Suicide feels to Shazam mm. and how different Shazam feels to Man of Steel and how different Man of Steel feels to Wonder Woman. They are so tonally different. They are all different directors that aren't on the same page. And I don't think that's the director's fault. Yeah. I think that... So many of the issues of the DCU come from the from Warner Brothers and the producers and not having an overarching feel. Uh, there have then, been some positive signs though, because I think Shazam was excellent. I think that Birds of Prey is excellent. And I think this is yeah. excellent. But then DC just feel I don't know. I, I've been watching DC in comparison to being some Marvel like fan over the past like how many years. The DC films feel like the films. Like I'm not taking into account the Disney Plus shows. I'm not taking into account anything else. But like. Just the films that I've seen from the DCU over the past couple of days just feel way more personal. Compare like, compare Man of Steel and BVS and Wonder Woman and um, what do you call it? Uh, Justice League. And you know, yeah, you can say like, there's still like big action set pieces where people are flying through the sky and shooting each other and blah 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 blah. But like, compare those films, how they develop characters and how they like how they go about constructing the story feels way more personal than something like I don't know Avengers, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know it feels way more personal like you get like moments in the Avengers films where it's like, oh, there's going to be a big fight and then there's going to be like this like we're going to have a character moment where we're going to get characters to have a side discussion and then there's going to be another moment where oh, they're going to fly to this place and I don't well, know I think, yeah, when you're talking about Avengers maybe but I think the individual solo films I don't necessarily feel that at all I don't necessarily you know, I agree I think films like Black Panther films like uh, Captain Marvel or Guardians of the Galaxy develop their characters very strongly and you can have some really important uh, character yeah. moments in, in, in the same way that, but, the, that... The, but the character moments feel almost like part of the bigger narrative whereas in the DC films at least for me personally like Man of Steel like there's very intense personal moments in those films where it's like I don't feel like we've had anything on that scale in most of the MCU films I don't I don't think I agree and but I will say part of it is the fact that the DC characters are gods right the DC characters are so yeah. powerful almighty gods 
mm. that need to be brought down to earth. Whereas yeah, I guess Marvel characters, now, I guess. Uh, yeah, they are normal people that are being brought up to the level of these alien villains and such. Yeah, um, you know, That's Superman. True. Superman is uh, basically, you know, God. He can do basically anything, and he's so unstoppable. Um, whereas Spider-Man is some some kid from from Queens who can swing about. Uh, so there are different situations for both of them. Like the level which they need to be humanized, whereas you know the the Marvel characters oh, yeah, are true. humans uh, for the most part, uh, other than than Captain Marvel. And I think Captain Marvel does have a lot of that where they has to be brought down to earth because they have to make her so grounded. Because uh, if you don't, you just kind of have a film where she just destroys everything because how powerful she is. Um, but yeah, obviously, Gatsby would probably be the closest example to, to Superman on this, uh, on this one. But yeah, I think overall our opinions on the Justice League have been very, very strong. Jail. Um, so we'll start off, shall we, by just saying, you know, we we could there's a lot more points we could talk about. We haven't talked about Lex Luthor. Uh, we haven't talked about a lot of the supporting forms. I don't mind Jesse Eisenberg either. Controversial opinion. Literally don't care. Like. Uh, um, yeah, I'm a bit fifty-fifty because I think yeah, okay, he's he's really not Lex Luthor. Right, he's very, very different from Lex Luthor. However, I do also think it's quite cool that they've got this kind of, ironically, with with Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Zuckerberg type, <laughs> especially in Back to Superman, example of these kind of cool new millionaires who are a little bit wacky, and he's playing basketball in his front room, and he, he you know, he's he's trying to, you know, that he does he does kind of hit, hit that thing of like what the new brand of like tech billionaires are like. And I think that's mm-hmm. quite cool. However, I also have an issue that maybe. You know, I don't have a problem with comic accuracy, but at that point, is he even Lex Luthor? I think I'm kind of... I think I'm more positive on him than negative. But, yeah, I think there's, we could talk so much about, about the other post-credit scenes, of course, setting up that, that Batfleck film, which won't happen. But we need to get towards uh, towards rating the films. So I'll start this time, because I started off. And uh, you start, you did it for um, first one, Falcon and Soldier. I wasn't sure whether to give this film an 8 or a 9. Um, very, very good. I enjoyed a lot, I think, but I'm going to give it an 8 and a half. What about you, Joe? I am going to give it a... I'll get a 4.5 on that box. So that's like a 9, 8.5, 9, something like that. I think this film, like, so I have Infinity War and Endgame as a 5 star, and Avengers, the first one, as a 4 star. It's definitely, for me, above the first Avengers film. and it's. I have the first done... Avengers film as a 2.5 star. <laughs> and it's definitely below Infinity War. Um, But then it's kind of like the middle ground of like... I was so kind of... I was kind of, after, the film, after the film, I was like, over the runtime, which is quite long, but obviously, you know, we have to take into account that this is a very unique thing. It's not exactly, you know, a normal film, so to speak, right? And right. so I was like, over the, the runtime, which I didn't even have a problem with anyway, like, it didn't feel like it dragged or anything. I, I loved the runtime, it flew by. Is there, I, I could, I was thinking of like flaws with the film. I was like, okay, maybe the CGI was a bit wobbly here, the dialogue was a bit wobbly here. You know, whatever. But like, I was, I was like, airing like four and a half, five. What do I give it? Like, I, I, I you know what? I want to give it a nine and a half. That's really high. I was gonna say, I no, 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 no. That's too high. Nine, nine, nine. out of ten. Nine okay, out okay, nine so not too far. Okay. Yeah. For, for finally getting his full vision out, for being able to do everything that he wanted to do, for producing the best version of his film, and for honouring his sadly uh, lost daughter. I am going yeah. to give my man the match to Zack Snyder. Yeah. 
You agree? Yeah. Okay. Rewatchability. I will say that uh, for myself, purely because of the runtime, whilst I think it was excellent, um, unless it gets a theatrical release, I really can't see myself going back to it. As much as I enjoyed it, just so long, uh, uh, I don't really see myself rewatching this, to be honest. I mean, I've basically rewatched it like three or four times. Well, not three or four times in full, but having watched various YouTube React channels react to it, um, I'd say I've spent a, quite a while uh, after the film watching the film again. So I am probably more. I, I I came up with thinking, yeah, that's the film I'm probably not gonna watch again anytime soon or rewatch ever. But like having watched people's reactions to it and still having those like goosebump moments and like those really just awesome set pieces and really cool character development and dialogue. You know what? I'm gonna say yeah. I would I would happily rewatch this and. I'm kind of looking forward to potential theatrical release because I will be. There. Yeah, I'll definitely watch it if it came out in the cinema. I just like IMAX. I think it's IMAX. Yeah, I would probably go. You bet IMAX. I'm there. You bet yeah. I'm there. Okay, so that wraps it up. Um, yeah, so that was our review of Zack Snyder's Justly. I'm sure we could talk about a lot more, and that I'm sure we'll release a director's cut of this in the next couple of days with extra content on it. I'm sure of it. <laughs> so it's two hours long. So we're basically coming up to the, uh, the Whedon version. So <laughs> the, the, the two out of 10, whatever version of mm-hmm. this film, of this podcast. Mm-hmm. I'll try and maybe get around to watching the justice league at some point. JL, before we get on to, um, uh, what we do next week and our outro and such, uh, is there anything you plan to watch over the next week? Um, yeah, well, other than I mentioned the the TV project, so the Arrowverse stuff and the previous Marvel shows, but that's going to be a long term thing, which I don't anticipate starting anytime soon because I've got some stuff on at the moment. Um, I think I'm gonna try and finish the DC films, so that would be what um, Shazam, Wonder Woman 1984, and that's it. Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. If I can be bothered, <laughs> well, probably yeah, I probably will watch it anyway. Um, and then. MCU stuff that I've not seen and try and just round off those two superhero universes so I can be up to date and uh, fully in the know going forward mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what of the which of these I'm going to watch but I have got the rest of the Kubrick films to watch so that'll be Barry Lyndon Shining which I've already seen for Full Metal Jacket Eyes Wide Shut The Killing uh, Killer's Kiss I've got a few more of those to watch uh, maybe go for that uh, maybe I'll go for some of the Blu-rays I've got old films I haven't got around to, maybe like Metropolis or Bicycle Thieves. Um, yeah. Or I've done a little bit of a social experiment over the last few weeks is that I've been listening to loads of different podcasts from random people giving their thoughts and opinions and theories and interpretations of being John Malkovich. Like loads of videos, that people think that it is a feminist film. This is a prequel to Get Out. This is a thought of yeah. the separance between the the mind and the soul, between interpretations of the actors' performances, between the the, the links to the puppetry in the film. I've watched loads of different thoughts on being John Malkovich. Loads of positive opinions, negative opinions. Just trying to get as many as possible. I've ordered it from the fifty percent off Arrow sale, Arrow Academy sale that was on HMV last week. It's got loads of special features. It's got loads of documentaries on it. I'm going to watch that with as much information as possible and see how it makes me think about the film as I'm watching it. So I, I think it's a cracking film. I love being John Malkovich. 
Um, it's got to take on Netflix quite recently. I'm looking forward to seeing that. So that's one that I might watch in the week um, coming. Just heads up. Um, sorry to interrupt you. I'm, I'm getting calls. Uh, one of the brothers are saying that we're running over two hours and uh, <laughs> we, need to, we need to start thinking about making this a bit funnier and oh, cut up. some stuff out. Oh, so, shut up, you, you knob. You big knob. Okay. <laughs> that's being cut out. It's not R-rated. You can't say that. Oh, yes. Well, the R-rated it might come in the uh, post credit scene. Um, so... Next week, we'll be talking to Lewis uh, about our alternative Oscars. And if anyone can guess what I'm going to, what's going to be winning Best Picture for me, <laughs> uh, you'll receive a heaping pile of nout for because that would mean you because it's probably the most obvious answer in the world but we'll be going through all our big categories for that and maybe a couple new ones um and so we'll be very looking forward to talking to lewis about that so i have been sam houston you can find me on twitter at sam h media and letterbox at sam houston you can find my compatriot my comrade my pal john luke mcdonald on twitter and letterbox at by jordan luke you can follow the Now Showing Podcast on Twitter at Now Showing Pod. You now can showing e- film. Now Showing Film, sorry, Now Showing Film. But you can contact. Right. I've reached out. I've reached out to the owners of the Now Showing Pod handle because they haven't posted in over a year, but they haven't responded to me. Oh really? So. That's a shame. But if you want to contact us by email, you can do so at nowshowingpod at gmail.com. If you want to help the podcast out, the best way to do so is by giving it a five star rating on iTunes to help us up go up the rankings. We are proud members of the Music City Drive-In Network. They are a website that hosts a whole, t- a whole ton of different podcasts and articles about film, about American football, about music. You can check out some of their best film podcasts on there, such as, obviously, the world award-winning, well, not an award-winning yet, but the world-class now-showing podcast. You can also check out the Film Optics podcast. You can also check out the Music City Drive-In, Network, uh, Music City Drive-In podcast. You can check out, uh, if you're a big Robert Pattinson fan, Robert uh, Podcasterson. If you can ch- what, like uh, Fancy Football, you can check out Fancy Football Roundtable. They're also taking a look at Zack Snyder's Justice League this week. If you uh, like your your music, you can do so the 50 Years of Music podcast uh and yes and check out their articles jail is gonna be writing for them very soon we are very thankful mm-hmm. for all that have listened here uh, we'll see you next time thank you for listening see you next time guys thanks bye well, i've got a really rude story i want to talk about okay this is x-rayed so i was uh this is this isn't like new you saw david today. tennant in in a in a naked swimming bath for something so justice league star willem dafoe I was reading on. I was looking on Twitter today. And I saw something, Jay. I just wanted to talk to you about it. Right. Um, they were talking about like something weird, weird things about actors doing nude scenes and stuff. And I found a thing that he was in *Nymphomaniac*. You know, the the kind of the thing that's got a quite Charlotte Buff in it, and I think and uh, I can't remember who who the main actress is, but you know, the Lars von Trier thing, *Nymphomaniac*. You know, you're aware. Yeah, of the Will Defoe. Yeah. The Will Defoe. Yeah. Defoe's in that. Mm-hmm. And he was doing like sex scenes and, and kind of naked scenes and stuff, but they had to get a body double because right. apparently they were like Lars on Trier said that like people like no one could not stop concentrating on just how massive Willem Dafoe's knob is, like for a man like Willem Dafoe, <laughs> so it's like a normal looking personality. He was like it was because it's Willem Dafoe. No one could believe how amazingly large his knob was, so they had to get a <laughs> that can't be a body that can't double. Be... No, what really? That's actually a thing.
That's actually a thing. Lars von Trier said in an interview, like, you, you uh, had to get Blood Devil. You reminded cause... me when you mentioned about that. I don't know why they came to my mind, but the, you know, Good Time, the Robert Pattinson film by the Softy Brothers. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. there's like a cut scene that they actually filmed but didn't use, apparently. Or, like, I'm not sure. I can't remember the exact context or the, uh, you know, the what actually happened with it. But basically, there was uh, Robert Pattinson and a dog and um, some some sexual activity uh, with a dog. So, what? it wasn't like full on sex, but it was like, uh, you know, stimulation the... involving a dog, apparently. That is. Ridiculous and awful, and he Rob Patterson should be in prison. I'm pretty well, sure. Believe. I'm pretty sure that was a thing that I read. I don't know. <laughs> I might just cut. Why well, I, I should regret spoke my mouth. I might just cut this all in editing. I might just cut this all out. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> anyway, right, okay. I'm probably gonna cut that out of jail. <laughs> no, no, I'm not joking. No, I'm um, yeah, including the William Defoe stuff, which is also true. I just feel like it's a really vulgar start of the podcast. And I might okay, just cut sure. it out. What, 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 I might have it as a we... post credit scene. Well, my, this is this you're hearing this at the end of the podcast because it was too vulgar being the main thing. This is the post credit scene. This is the post credit scene we didn't get in Justice League. <laughs>